Shabbat Shalom, Brother P. Shabbat Shalom. How are you? Pretty good. Right. On the road. I'm on the, I am actually in a undisclosed <laughs> location right now. <laughs> Perfect place yes. to be. On my way to Georgia. Oh, are you really? I'm almost there. Yeah, almost there. Just for the weekend. Ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Georgia. Yeah. Georgia. Nice and warm. Georgia. I love the weather. It's already 57 degrees here where I am. And in New York, it's 20 something degrees. I'm coming from the Bronx, New York. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Bronx can be a little tough. Well, I'm glad to hear you're having a great trip. So you must Thank be. You. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Hi, Shabbat shalom, Dr. P. Uh, hi, Barry. Shabbat shalom. Hear a song. Hi, Dabari. Hey. Hi. Good morning to you. Shabbat shalom. Hi. Who is that? Was that Randall? Hi. Uh, hi. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Hey, guys. Hi, Shabbat Hi, Jesse. Shabbat shalom. Hi, Chris. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom, everybody. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Good afternoon or good evening. Hello, John Cobb. Good to see you there, brother. Shalom. I see you're, I see you're keeping Shabbat warm. Shalom, Dr. P. Just, yeah, I got my John Deere hat on. You know, I got to keep up the image. <laughs> well, you know, my kids used to love to sing the song about all of the other reindeer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they get for hanging out with the homeschool community for too long. You know? <laughs> that beard's getting on down there, bro. Hey, it's starting to get there. Yeah, it needs a little work. You know, I think uh, if I keep, if I stay on the beef growth hormone, it'll keep growing. You know, that's funny. Yeah, it's uh, uh, well, you know, we need it. You know, I have to tell you, uh, last night we were coming home. We almost plowed into a couple of moose right out here on. Uh, on beautiful sunset it was unbelievable i mean i didn't see him but my sister-in-law saw him and she was like moose i'm going what well, i locked him up and almost plowed into him but oh, uh, yeah we're, we're they're infiltrating the neighborhood now we had one out in the neighbor's drive here this morning and two days ago they were on the front porch walking around on my front porch it was like what are you doing on the front porch there's not enough room for you here. Get it, get it, you know, hit the road. They wouldn't have done that if my dog had been home, but she was gone for the night. So they got away oh. with it. But, uh, yeah. There would be to throw out some vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, their favorite. The is the raccoon of Alaska. Yeah, the, the, that's kind of it. Yeah, they, uh, they like to eat everything. Of course, you know what they really want to eat is they want to eat my apple trees. And you know, and it's like, no, no, you guys aren't coming in here. No, 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 just stay back. Get keep out of there. Stay, stay away. In Florida, we in Florida, we got the bird feeder. In Alaska, you got to have the moose feeder. The moose feeder, yeah, yeah. So we we tie small animals out there. No, no, I'm just kidding. Apples. Yeah, yeah. Moose, moose don't eat animals. Actually, they're 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 not they're carnivores. Believe it or not. But Don't you know, forget, your bird feeder is also a cat feeder. Oh, is yeah. that right? <laughs> That's yeah. right. That's true. Yeah. I'll tell you, I don't do bird feeders anymore after I got bats in my belfry, one house I used to have. We had, <laughs> to, 
we got a bird infestation in the attic. It's like, oh you guys need to shoo, shoo fly, shoo. And they're almost impossible to get rid of. Blind, blind birds. All right. Well, good morning, you guys, or good afternoon, depending on where you are. We've just about got, we've got a bunch of people here this morning that have gathered for Shabbat. So let's, let us open with prayer if we can. Hear our prayers, Father, as we lift our prayers to you this morning. Coming to you on this Shabbat, we say thank you for giving us the day of rest, the seventh day that we might be able to rest from our, from our weary week, our toils and our labors, we might be able to come together as a fellowship to read scripture, to lift up your name that you might be among us. We give praise for these things, Father, that you've called us by your name. We lift this in the name of Yahusha. Amen. So it is so good to be with you guys today. And, you know, we were having a discussion about this at the fellowship last night. We were talking about, once again, we were talking about the name. You know, we were looking at Exodus 23. And we were talking about the fact that the name, uh, one of the books we were reading, uh, that we were reading from, we were reading from the New Living Translation. That was the name of the New Living Translation. And the New Living Translation was left out a very critical passage in their paraphrase because they didn't see it as important. And so as a consequence, uh, they left out this little business about, gee, what, well, what about, what about the, the name, you know, about this being given the name? And it's not surprising that they would leave it out. And but when, you, when we got to talking about it, and of course, I know you guys have heard me teach on it, you know, a billion times. But when you think about it, you think about the fact that the name has been deleted from a lot of these texts because they're very comfortable with the idea of uh, Lord and you know, the, the scripture in Exodus 23 tells us, you shall not have other gods before me. And Exodus 23 is all about idolatry. And when you see the punishment that comes upon Israel, it comes upon Israel, it comes upon Yasharel because of idolatry. And idolatry is the worship of other gods and bringing in other gods. We don't see how much we do this. But, I mean, I can give you an example when we talk about bringing in other gods. You know, Isaiah tells us that Yahweh is your judge. Yahweh is your lawgiver. Yahweh is your king. And this means that his edicts are controlling. His judgments are controlling. His commands are controlling. And if they're not controlling, then we have some other God. Now, I mean, I'll give you an example in the UK. There, there's discussion now that the Bible is hate speech, that you can't read the Bible in the public square because it's offensive. It's hate speech. Well, it's hate speech only if you have a different God, only if you're worshiping a different God. If you have a different God in place, 
Well, of course you can say, or different Elohim, of course you can say, well, that's hate speech because it's offensive to whom? Who is it offensive to? Well, it's offensive to our true Elohim. David and Jean, did you guys, you guys want to say something? David and Jean? Oh, no, sorry. I haven't put my hand up, have I? Oh, okay. Sorry. I was just, I was just hearing your conversation. Remember, oh, if you guys, sorry, are, sorry. If, you, if you're going to talk, don't forget to use a little guitar or piano with it there. Jean, <laughs> Doing well, yeah. mate. Doing well. <laughs> Love you guys. Looking forward to seeing you. Uh, oh, well, I'm looking forward to being back. Can't wait. Can't wait. Call them all, especially. Uh, we, we had, we had such a marvelous and, you know, it, the UK is a very special place. But, you know, now we're going to South Africa and we're going down to see the brothers and sisters there for Pesach and for Matzah. And it's going to be a very special time, I'm sure. And uh, Yaz already told me that it's going to be a very special time. And something oh, great, South Africa. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, okay. Well, not in the spring. We're going to be back in the UK in the fall. We'll be back in the oh. UK in we, we misunderstood. In. We thought you were coming in April, you know? Yeah, we thought we were going to be there too, but, it, uh, but I'll tell you what happened. I was going to do a combination trip going into the UK and South Africa. And in order to do that, I wanted to be able to fly a direct flight from London to Johannesburg. But British Air doesn't fly that flight anymore. So in order to fly from, from London to South Africa, I had to fly either Lufthansa into Germany, KLM into the Netherlands, or Air France into Paris. And all three of those airports require a vaccine mandate, vaccine affidavit that is enforced by the Justice Department. And they want you to have a vaccine affidavit that is up to date in the last 28 days with multiple boosters. And I said, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not, and, you know, and the, and the threat is if you don't, here's the Department of Justice listed at the bottom of the affidavit. So I didn't do it. And so I couldn't do it. And so that's, that's really what hit me. And that's why I couldn't come in the spring. So I had to make it, I have to make a trip directly out of the U.S. So, uh, but I do want to be back in, in the U.K. We have so much to share about what we've discovered. And I mean, there's so much to share and so much work to do that uh, we just we just run out of time. I mean, that's just really the bottom line of it. But uh, when we come back, when we come back, we're coming by Northern Wales there on the coast. We, we'll definitely be, we'll definitely be back by. But are you going to hold a conference in Cornwall? Yeah, uh, that is another question too. We were thinking about doing the conference in Cornwall because of course this is the situs of uh, JOA and their arrival where they were making a constant trip was through Cornwall. Primarily, I think Exeter is where we're talking about. And uh, we just, we haven't had that. The way it stands right now, none of the, all this stuff is up in the air because of what happened with these yeah. mandates in Europe. If the mandates hadn't happened, I would have been there this spring, but they did. And so we're going directly to South Africa. Okay. And, and then we'll then we'll be back. We're gonna, we're going to present our results. And I talked with Malcolm, and he said we, we should wait till the fall to present our results because we have so much that we have uh, that's come to light. 
so much that's come to light. I mean, what if I told you that there's records that say that all of the disciples were at one time in Britain? And that surprises wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, and that uh, you know, Paul made multiple trips, and we've looked at the. Uh, I'm sorry for being a little bit off track, guys. I hope you guys can apply with me for a second. But the uh, when we looked at the life of Abalimar, uh, who was uh, this kind of progenitor king behind uh, Brand the Blessed and all this, and Avi Regis and all of these people in the in the early first century, and um, Lucius, right, and uh, Caractacus, you know, or Caradoc, mm-hmm. and uh, Old King Cole. Uh, well, all of these, all of these uh, relationships were uh, absolutely critical in bringing forward the line of David and in the migration of Israel. Now, one friend wrote me and he said, "Look, the migration of Brutus appears to be in the 600s, and not, and not in the 1100s." Well, of course, that's very interesting if that's the case because this is going to follow the uh, expulsion of the northern tribes in 722 and of course when we talk about uh what's interesting is that who was brutus we know that brutus is not really a name but rather a title and it's a latinized form so they would say brutus but it was actually british people and so he was the covenant man and if he was the covenant man, what does that mean? Well, it may he may have been Omri. He may have been Omri. Now, he, in, in the Greek, he was known as Anias, but he may have been Omri. Now, if this was the case, you can see that the people of Omri, when, by the way, the O in ancient Hebrew probably did not exist. It was probably only a U, and no O appeared there at all. And this is why you see in the Yiddish, which is the Masoretic form of, of the Hebrew, you see the O is very often added by using the holum to put a dot on the word and inject an O where no O exists. For instance, no O exists in Elohim, no O exists in Anoki. They're not there. They've been injected by the Masoretes. So there may not have been an O in the ancient Hebrew at all. It might've been just an O. Now, if that's the case, it would not be the Ebro River in Spain, but rather the Ebru River, Ebru, where we get the word Hebrew. And the Omri, King Omri would not be Omri at all, but rather King Umri. Yeah. And the people of Umri would be called the Ka-Umri, the Kumri. And so we see that if, if Brutus was actually Omri or Anias in the Greek, mm-hmm. Then he may have come in with he may have come in with uh, uh, you know the people and the and it's very interesting because I believe the Welsh people are the house of Joseph and not the house of Ephraim and Manasseh but but you know the book of Joseph and Asenath tells us that Asenath had many children even Genesis reflects on this and says that. Your first two children, Ephraim and Manasseh, will be counted as the sons of Israel, adopted sons, right? But that all the children born after that are just the children of Joseph. And so we see that, in fact, uh, this is the tribe, and this is why there's still reference 
in the New Testament to the tribe of Joseph. And so it's very possible that this tribe and also that this tribe retained the ancient Egyptian language, whereas the tribes that traveled with Moshe took on the Hebrew language or the ancient Hebrew. Yeah, yeah. But the, but the tribe of Joseph did not. They retained the ancient Egyptian language. And this ancient Egyptian language is now spoken as Welsh. It has a different alphabet, of course, but that this was the Welsh alphabet. And so this makes for a very interesting uh, combination because now we see that uh, the Qumri have a direct link to the Egyptian language, a direct link to the house of Joseph, a direct link to this last king in, in uh, the Northern Kingdom, Omri, or Umri, and who may have left with the tribes to come into Britain and to reestablish themselves. Now, this would not be the first ones to reestablish in, in the Isles. Uh, we know that Jeremiah reestablished Jerusalem in the Isles uh, mm -hmm. yeah, around 581 BC. And so, you know, the Qumri were initially in Wales, and then Jeremiah arrives in Ireland yeah. about 100, you know, 150, 200 years later, 150 years later. Uh, to rebuild Jerusalem at Tara Hill. And ultimately, what happened with the destruction of Tara, uh, which that, that, that throne would transfer from Tara Hill to Scone, Scotland, under Robert the Bruce. But what caused the destruction of all of that was the inability to keep the Shabbat. That's what, what, that's what destroyed it all, was the inability to keep the Shabbat. and. The biggest problem of, that, that caused that collapse had to do with the fact that um, the English, who were also participating in uh, a combination, you had a combination of um, you had a combination of beliefs that had joined together. You had the House of Zarak and their priesthood, which was the Druids. But the Druids, you have to remember, were practicing a priesthood that was consistent with what Jeremiah had taught them. And then you had another group that had arrived that were called the Kuldees. The Kuldees. And the Kuldees are the ones that crafted the first gospel uh, in, in, uh, in Britain, in the British Isles, namely the Book of Kells that was developed up in uh, Iona. And the Kuldees were Sabbath keepers, as were the Druids, Sabbath keepers. And so you had this ferocious fight to maintain the Shabbat. But in 1066, agents of Rome crossed over the Straits of Dover Again. in the form of William the Conqueror and the Normans, and they brought with them the Roman Church. Now, the Roman Church had already been established in Canterbury. 590 by Augustine, but Rome continually encroached and encroached and encroached. And after William the Conqueror came, they began to encroach at the point of the sword. And so it was yeah. conquer, conquer, conquer. And so it was, you know, St. Patrick who went into Ireland and put the Sabbath to death in Ireland. So Patrick did that. He put the Sabbath to death in Ireland. And then you see, you see that this encroachment comes north and so the last high king of Ireland was Edward the Bruce and his brother, Robert the Bruce, would then transfer the, the throne to Scone, 
with anticipation of protecting the Shabbat from the now Romanized English. So we, when we look at when we look at Braveheart, we think, oh, gee, William William Wallace is fighting against the English, but it wasn't the English he was fighting against. He was fighting against the Roman practices of the English. Yeah. And so Robert the Bruce succeeds in defeating Edward II. And when he does, Scotland has independence for some period of time. Now, my understanding is that there's still a group of Scots in the Northern Islands that are still practicing the Shabbat and that have never given up on it. But Rome went out of its way to extinguish the Shabbat, burning people at the stake if they caught them keeping the Shabbat. And this went on for hundreds of years. And as you can see with our group meeting here today, that they're not going to be able to put out the fire of the Shabbat because the fire of the Shabbat is in the hands of Yah. It is not in the hands of man and it's not in the hands of the serpent and it's not the ability to be a serpent to extinguish the light of Yah in the world. It doesn't happen. And they may kill every single human being on earth. They may kill every single human being on earth, but it is not going to stop the word from proceeding. And there will be another generation from now that will take up the Shabbat like this generation has taken it up. So, you know, anyway, so this is what we see. And then, of course, now we have to see if Britain is going to hear the call again or if it continues to intone its ear towards the serpent, the Vatican. And, you know, I mean, look, the World Economic Forum, EU, all of that is all Vatican. It's yeah. all, it's all know, the Can I just say something quickly, Stephen? About a massacre in Edinburgh. Go ahead, Catherine. I believe um, there is hope for the Isles, but there's no hope for the square mile mm. because I believe the square mile is tied up with the hip of the Vatican. What about Westminster? One March. Johnny, put that down a bit. I can't hear. Yeah, and when you're talking about that, Catherine, so I don't want to get too far into it here this morning because we need to get to the core portion. But uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with you on that analysis. And of course, you know, the square mile is what they call the city of London or the crown, crown of London. And this is where St. Paul's Cathedral is at the top of Lude Hill and where uh, London was originally formed as New Troy. It was right there, it's right on that very yeah. hill. New Troy What's so disturbing is the dragons around the square mile and they call it the snake. What's that tell you? Mm, I know. Yeah, it tells you everything you need to know. And I mean, and there it is. And, you know, when we look at this now, today's, we're going to be looking at a Torah portion today that's going to be difficult. Okay. This is going to be a difficult Torah portion. And I am going to need some feedback on this Torah portion when we get into it. Okay. And because I need to figure out what you guys think. Because, you know, there was another very interesting character in British history who was uh, a guy named William Wilberforce. 
I don't know if you remember that name, but he stood up. Yeah, he stood up in Parliament for 22 years and argued that slavery was immoral. For 22 years, he stood up and said this. And of course, the slave trade was managed mostly out of Liverpool. And it was the foundation of the economy in Liverpool. And uh, there were many, many, many that uh, uh, were bought and sold into slavery. And William Wilberforce argued it was immoral, immoral, immoral. And he argued this well before we ever had a civil war in the United States, where literally hundreds of thousands of white Americans sacrificed their lives in the field of battle to terminate the practice of slavery. And of course, you know, nobody remembers that anymore. We, we hate everybody, you know, including those people who gave up their life to end the practice of slavery. But we're going to see some passages here in the Torah portion. We, we, let's take a look at it. Let's read it. Let's go into Exodus 21, verses 1 through 18. Now, these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you obtain an Ivri servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his woman shall go out with him. If his Adoni, his master, have given him a woman, however, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the woman and her children shall be her Adonis, and he shall go out by himself. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. I don't know if you've ever seen examples of this in practice, but I've seen it shown in the movies where American slave masters in particular were very keen on this particular passage. Oh, no, I brought you your wife. She belongs to me and her children belong to me. You go out. But if the servant plainly says, well, I love uh, my Adoni, my woman and my children, I will not go out free. Then his Adoni shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost. And his Adoni shall pierce his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Now, a lot of people, they think that it's, uh, that it's fun to have pierced ears, right? A lot of professional athletes like to pierce their ears. At least they used to. I don't know if they're still doing it anymore. But they used to pierce their ears. Well, what are you trying to say? What they're trying to say is, is that they're a slave, right? They're a bond servant to the NBA, or they're a bond servant to the NFL, or they're a bond servant to Major League Baseball forever. And the truth is, they are. Many of them, many professional athletes, you know, take steroids, everything else in order to become the best professional athlete, and they have nothing, no life at all, other than the professional sport. And so you see this willingness to pierce the ears. Now, when a woman pierces her ears, and you know, and you know the practice in the Western world, correct me if I'm wrong, ladies, but the average practice in the Western world 
is for girls to pierce their ears before puberty. What is this practice about? Well, what this practice is about is that a woman, by piercing both her ears, is telling her future husband, I will be submitted to you forever. That's why both ears are pierced. I will be submitted to you forever. Now, most people in the Western world don't think that's what it means, but it's like, you know, I, I knew girls when they were teenagers. They wanted to wear a very fancy ring on the fourth finger of the left hand. Well, uh, you know, if you wear a ring on the fourth finger of your left hand, people are going to construe you as being married. Well, that's not what it means to me. Well, that may not mean that to you, but that's what it means to the rest of the world. You know, and it's the same thing with these piercings. You might think it's just decoration or it's a hip thing to do, but it has a particular spiritual meaning. Okay. And if a man surrenders his daughter to be a maidservant, she shall not go out as the men servants do. If she please not her Adon, her Adoni, who has betrothed her to himself. Now see, this is an interesting phrase. A man surrenders his daughter to be a maidservant, but she is betrothed to her master. Then shall he let her be redeemed to surrender her unto a strange nation. He shall have no power, seeing he has dealt deceitfully with her. And if he has betrothed her unto his son, he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters. So this is what happened with, of course, Judah and Tamar, right? This is what happened with Judah and Tamar. That he had betrothed her to his son. Therefore, he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters. If he takes unto him another woman. So here you have an explicit, you know, door opening for polygamy. If he takes unto him another woman, her food, her raiment, her duty of marriage, shall he not diminish. And if he does not these three unto her, then she shall go out free. That is to say, divorced. Without money. Now, I'm telling you, when you look at the characterization of, of this particular paragraph, you're dealing with something here that's very difficult. If a man surrenders his daughter to be a maidservant, what does this mean? A concubine? What is he talking about? Is he talking about a wife? What's he talking about? Then, when he has betrothed him to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. To surrender her to a strange nation, he shall have no power. Okay? But here you can see it appears that you have a wide open door to polygamy and the rule of polygamy. And if a man takes another woman and then decides, well, look, I'm not going to give you to his first wife. He's saying, I'm not going to give you food, raiment, or do the duty of marriage at all. Well, if he does not do these three, then what? You can leave. If you don't like it, you can leave. Doc, can I ask you a question? Sure. Um, 
we were discussing this and I was just wondering, isn't there a connotation between the oaths that Yah made this world in and, and the, the way that he has designed these uh, things before actually he made man so that uh, these also pertain to the fallen watchers. So in other words, is there maybe a deeper meaning to this and not just to the uh, master-slave relationship, but also to the, um, the fallen watchers and the entities and those that are going to be judged in the end of days? That was just something that came to my mind because I just thought that, you know, why? Well, anyway, I'll just leave it at that. Thanks. No, no. I want to I want to talk about that, Chris, just a little bit to see where your what your thinking is on this. Um, you're thinking that uh, if a man surrenders his daughter to a fallen watcher, is that what you're thinking? Well, what I was thinking was, is say now we are all slaves of Yah. In other words, we are all his servants. He, that's what he created us for. He created us to be his and nobody else's. Now, when I say slave, I don't mean that it's necessarily the, 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 the slave that we know, but like Paul says, we are all slaves under Yah or under Yahusha. Um, so it's, it's a sort of submission to, to, to him, right? And, and we submit everything to him. But the point is that that's what Yah created us for, and that's what he created um, this, this prize creation called mankind for. And then I was thinking, well, okay, so now say now you are betrothed to him and he gives you a wife. Well, you know, if you want to leave him, you leave alone. You're not leaving with the wife and the kid. He's keeping them. And if you are somebody who's going to um, be false in your ways, well, there's a consequence of that. So I was just thinking, isn't that maybe something that's part of his law so that when judgment comes, well, these are the laws and the law is a curse unto you if you're not in Yahushua Mashiach, if you're not in the Messiah. So what does that mean? It means that, well, if you haven't accepted the forgiveness and the love and the, and the, full, the fullness of uh, the word in Yahushua Mashiach, then you still fall under the curse of the law because sin is death for you. So, you know, I don't know if that makes sense. It is quite a bit of a deep thought, a deep sort of thought, but. Doc, I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. Um, when you say the, the father surrenders his daughter, is he doing that because maybe he owes a debt? And he's given his daughter to the guy as a as a maidservant to just better be better just be a servant because he owes well, debt. That's a, that's a good question, Randall. I mean, I'll tell you, there is another portion in Scripture that talks about that a man shall not sell his daughter, and yet there are many cultures in the world right now where men sell their sell their daughters. But is he selling in this case, or is he just? Basically, say I owe this guy, so I'm going to allow my daughter to go in and, and be a servant to him to pay off the debt. Or maybe I just just based on the language here, I'm I was just wondering that. Well, you know, I'll tell you, there's um, there one of my favorite books 
is a book uh, by Dostoevsky called The Idiot. And one of the characters in The Idiot is this woman, uh, Anastasia Filipovna. And she was a girl, came from a poor family, who was sold to a rich man. And, you know, at a very young age, we're talking like probably 13. I've heard about this. Didn't they do a movie about it? Probably. And when she turned 21, he wants to get rid of her. He's not going to pay. He's not going to, uh, you know, he's not going to pay for her food or her raiment or give her any duty of marriage. He wants to be rid of her. And so he literally puts up a dowry of 100,000 rubles to any guy that will take her. And of course, this creates a very interesting character in the book as to who she is. And uh, ultimately, she would be murdered by her uh, new lover or her Gosian. And, um, but it's a very interesting anomaly when you see this stuff in practice in terms of this read. Now, what you're asked, the question you're asking here, Randall, is a question I think Chris is trying to address. We're all trying to look at to make sense out of this passage to see what's going on here. Now, I can see clearly if you're talking about in verse four, if Adonai, that is Yahweh, has given him a woman, and she has borne him a son or a daughter, then the woman and her children shall belong to Adonai, and they will not go out, you know, they will not go out with him. They belong to Adonai. If he decides he's going to walk away from the paid, then they will not go with him. They will remain with, with Yah, with, with Adonai. And so I think this is the example that's trying to be made here. But when you see it in practice, when a slave owner is uh, tells a man, look, too bad for you. You want to be free. You've run off. You've run off to Missouri or off to another non-slave state. I'm keeping your wife and kids. They belong to me. And when you, when you sense the intrinsic injustice, and this is where we really run into some difficulties in scripture, in Moshe's Torah, because you see slavery ensconced. This is not the best passage of slavery. This is bond servant. We're, we haven't talked about slavery yet. This is just bond servant. We're going to get to slavery. And slavery is yet another issue altogether. But you have to keep in mind, too, that at this time, I'm not sure that they had what you would call employees, right? You didn't have employees. You had the members of your family, and then you had bond servants that were working with you. But I mean... You know, I mean, I'll tell you, you know, I went to uh, Mount Vernon, which is George Washington's home. And I didn't know this, but there was very little regard for George Washington's home. And even into the 1900s, they were letting it fall apart. It was just a fallen down ruin that nobody was taking care of it, which kind of shocked me. Uh, but then they finally decided, OK, well, look, this is Mount Vernon. This is George Washington's home. We need to do something and repair the house and make it a tourist trap, nothing else. And so they did. And so what do you discover when you get to Mount Vernon? Well, we didn't take the main path in. We took the back path. And by taking the back path, we were able to walk by the slaves' quarters. And they don't want you looking at the slaves' quarters when you come to Mount Vernon. They don't want you hanging out over here. I mean, when you come to 
you come to one of the rooms and the room is, you know, my guess it was 24 feet long by eight feet deep. It had a door right in the middle, a fireplace in the middle, concrete floors, and two windows on either side. And this was the room for a family of five. This was the house for a family of five. The slave quarters upstairs were cells for one person. Cells. You know, a door. Some of them had windows, some didn't. But you had a door and enough room for a bed. This is where his employees slept, his slaves. And George Washington, you know, first of all, he inherited the property. He didn't buy it. He inherited the property. And after he inherited the property, uh, he made his living initially on tobacco. And after he sold tobacco for 20 years, he decided to switch and he switched his crops over to uh, making barley so that he could make whiskey. So the founder of America was essentially a whiskey and tobacco salesman who used slave labor to do it on inherited land and was willing to risk the livelihood and the lives of everybody in America to preserve that particular privilege. And that's really the truth of it right there on the Potomac. And so you see kind of an interesting anomaly as to what was there. And again, we see this here in, we see this here in the Torah, right? We've got this very interesting issue here in 21. Now, keep in mind that these rules here that are coming down are rules that I think are given exclusively by Moshe, right? So let's go back up here to the top of the Torah portion, right? Quick question. Sure, go ahead. Uh, when you talk about the practice of the ring on the fourth finger, uh, it's my understanding that came from the worship of Saturn, which was originally, uh, the name was Satan. So wearing that ring represents a contract with Satan. Uh, well, I know that that's, that's one understanding of it. The... Um, you know, but there's another understanding, too, that Saturn and Jupiter and so on were actually um, different names for people who had actually existed and that they were, you know, deified over a period of time. And, uh, for instance, Jupiter may be the Roman name for Japheth, for Japheth, for Japheth. Yeah, I heard and, that on Thursday. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, it's just... There's, like I say, when we look back in the history, uh, and, and you have to keep in mind, too, that when you talk about uh, what are pagan practices, all the pagan practice, there's no pagan practice that they invented, you know, at a clear blue sky. They were co-opting and taking from Yah's world. And, uh, you know, so a lot of the stuff that is pagan yeah, may be true, but it may have had a holy practice before before we get to this and uh so yeah i mean are wedding rings pagan maybe um but the, the uh you know i'm not going to say that it's a certainty that it represents a contract with satan uh because uh, i think there's a kind of an overwhelming sense that a wedding ring is an outward expression of fidelity in a relationship between a husband and wife. 
and a clear marker. Now, some, some people, like for instance, in the Orthodox, the married women wear a bonnet on their head. They wear some kind of a head covering and they never appear in public without a bonnet on their head. Well, that's another way to mark out that you're married, you know, but I think for the most part, that's what Yeah, yeah, Dabari, go ahead. I met this man in Roswell and I noticed he was wearing his wedding ring on his right hand. So I asked him about that. He said, yeah, well, when you shake hands with somebody, they know you're married. And he said, in England, since they drive on the right side, that was how you would draw your sword. And that let them know that you were a married person. Now, I don't know if that's true or anything, but I thought that was interesting. So that's true in Britain. The reason they drive on that side of the road is it has to do with the old tradition of passing another horseman coming at you. And you would always pass on the left and have him pass on your right so that if you need to draw your sword, you can engage in battle. That's, that's why they drive on the left-hand side of the road. And that's a given. And also in the Eastern tradition, they wear their wedding ring on their right hand. Yeah. Uh, which, which is interesting. Yeah, so it, it varies. But anyway, but that's good. Okay, so let's continue here. Stephen? Stephen? Yes? Um, if we look to the Gospels, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to uh, Yeshua, uh, to talk to him about divorce, he said to him, you know, don't you realize that it's, 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 it's Yah that has put the man and the woman together, not a certificate, not a marriage, but Yah himself and said, you know, and I don't know if it's true, the response that they've uh, translated, and maybe you do. But, you know, he, he said, you know, but for the reason of the hardened heart, I, you can issue a, a certificate of divorce. Sounds very Roman fraudulent to me. Yeah, I mean, it, it is an interesting thing because when you talk about marriage, the, um, you know, marriage in the real world has always been the agreement between two people. And usually, usually, however, scripture talks about, and we see a little bit here in this Torah portion, that a father is surrendering his daughter as a maidservant. Well, when you look at that in really in the formal respect, the father is the covering for the daughter. And in a true kind of a true relationship or a true Torah community, if you will, the father is the covering for the daughter. And then when a young man comes and wants to marry the daughter, he needs to first convince the father that he's capable of being the cover. You're, you're going to go to the father and say, look, I want to take over the responsibility of the cover for this woman, and I'm capable of doing it. And this is why the father would say, well, you don't look capable to me. And <laughs> have kind of a back and forth, you know, this kind of thing. But ultimately, it... it you know, a proper courtship uh, should require the young man to get to know his future in-laws, his future mother-in-law and father-in-law, and to establish himself as a competent and upright person willing to take on the cover of his future father-in-law. This is a big deal. Now, sometimes fathers are irrational, and they're not going to grant the daughter a right to get married at all because no man is ever good enough. 
usually that's not fathers, but older brothers who are because the father's gone. Mm. But uh, but then a covenant marriage can be had between two people in a simple covenant. The marriage license is really a bad joke. I mean, the marriage when, license. When was, was the first marriage license? Because I've heard it was between a, a black and a white because it was an illegal thing. So they had to invent the certificate that a black can marry a white. Well, actually, the license was created in order to prevent blacks from marrying whites. Mm. It was to prevent interracial marriages. That's why they right. initially that's why they the license. What year? What year do you think? Well, this is in the 1900s. I think it was around 1912. Wow. That's very enlightening. Thank you. So before that, um, before that, you were talking about of uh, the church would perform the marriage, period. And yeah. so you would be married in your church and they would issue a marriage certificate or some kind of certificate that indicated you were married. But uh, and then the churches maintain those kinds of records as well. But the state got into licensing marriages, and now it's a point where they've criminalized you getting married outside of their license in many jurisdictions because you can't license that which is legal to do. And, of course, the Constitution of the United States says you have a, a right to be married, period. It's a fundamental right. And yet the states have criminalized it and said, oh, no, you can't be married unless you get married with a license, and therefore, once they license you, then your marriage is dependent upon that license. And once they've licensed you, then they can divorce you on their terms and on their jurisdiction and on their mm -hmm. standards. And this is what's so, that's why it's so, again, they've created a new God. They have a new God that governs over them. And did you see the new, did you see the new laws that Indonesia has implemented? regarding these subject matter i have not uh you're not allowed to live with somebody you're not married to there now well that's good yeah no, this i is was common. shocked that it was indonesia that came up with it hmm. but indonesia is primarily islamic so i mean you can see that the world is is revolting against what we see but but let's let's come back. Let's get back to the Torah portion so we can get back into it because we're going to see a lot of tenants mm. down here in this Torah portion that are going to be interesting rules. Okay, so he that smites a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Okay, death penalty shows up here in the Torah portion. And if a man lies not in wait. But Elohim delivers him into his hand, then I will appoint you a place whether he shall flee. Now, what he's talking about here is accidental death. You might call it negligent homicide, or in some jurisdictions, manslaughter. If you're not lying in wait, you know, you're not, there's no intent. And here we have again, this is a big distinguishment in the criminal law, because we see a difference here, because he's talking about here. He that's, you know what? I haven't shared the screen, have I? Let me share the screen. That might help. And that we can see the Torah portion. Dr. P, doesn't this take place um, about three or four months after the Exodus as well? So they, they really had Egypt in them. Don't you agree? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I do agree with this, Alicia. And, you know, and when you're talking about that, and I'm glad you raised the issue, because, of course, you know, Ezekiel tells us that, what, Ezekiel tells us that Moshe gave them bad law. Right. And, you know, I mean, when we talk, and we haven't gotten, like I said, we haven't gotten to the difficult part of, of the slavery issue yet. We're going to get to it. But, uh, but I want to show you these first because these are very important issues. So here you do see Moshe distinguishing. You guys can see the screen now, right? You can see Moshe is distinguishing now between if a man lies not in wait. Now, this is a contemplation of intent. And, you know, when you look at the law of intent, you can't just say, oh, well, I intended, you know, you manifested intent. There are laws that say uh, deciding you're going to kill somebody uh, in less than a minute that is not the manifestation of premeditation. Premeditation means premeditation. You thought about it before. You were lying in wait, if you will. You were premeditating. But Elohim delivers him into his hand. That is to say that you've killed somebody, but it wasn't intentional. It happened through negligence. It happened accidentally. Then I will appoint you a place whether he shall flee. Now, this is interesting. We don't, there is no nation on earth that I know of that practices this. But if a man comes presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. And if he that smites his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. That's not smiting them to death. Just he that smites his father or mother shall surely be put to death. He that steals a man and sells him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. Now, this goes back to what we're talking before. He that steals a man and sells him, well, what do you think the slave trade was? They were kidnapping people. They were kidnapping people in Africa and in other places, putting them on boats and selling them. Now, you know, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit of uh, something that you need to keep in mind. There were slave raiders, Muslim slave raiders, that were forever landing on the coasts of Ireland and taking people and selling them into slavery. One of the big places that was hit routinely in Ireland was a little town called Baltimore, which was on the western coast of Ireland that was hit continually by Muslim trade slave, slave traders who were taking the Irish and selling them into slavery. Nobody wants to talk about the Irish slave story because the Irish deny it, right? They won't allow you to talk about the fact that from the time that Catholics were criminalized in Ireland, which was in 1534 under Henry VIII, on up into their emancipation in 1834, Irish girls were forever sold into slavery. And they were sold into slavery as basically broodmares. They would, be, they would be sent down into slave trading camps in the Caribbean. And they would bring these girls in in order to breed with one or two slaves that they purchased from Nigeria or from the coast of Africa. And then they, you know, one Irish girl with one slave 
equals nine, 10 children that the slave owner owns under these provisions of this Torah right here. See? And this went on for a long time, a couple of hundred years, in fact, up into the 19th century. Nobody wants to talk about it, but for instance, like Kamala uh, Harris, who's the vice president of the United States, her grandparents were uh, slave owners in Bermuda, and they had slaves that were of this crop. He that steals a man and sells him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall be put to death. He that curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. And if men strive together and one smites another with a stone or with his fist and he dies not, but keeps his bed, in other words, he's sick and infirm, he had to go to the hospital. If he rises again and walks abroad upon his staff, then he that smote him shall be innocent. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall cause him to be thoroughly healed. So you see, now you see the law of damages for assault. So if you've assaulted someone, you've hurt someone, you drove your car into them, whatever may have happened, you're responsible for his loss of time and for his injuries. You see, it appears right here in the Torah. Well, before it ever appeared in the common law in the British Isles, it's here in the Torah. If a man smites his servant or his maid with a rod and he dies under his hand, he shall be punished. You see, now the servant is something less than a human being. A servant is less than a human being because if that person dies, even though the master intended to beat them to death, the master is only going to be punished. Notwithstanding, if he continues a day or two, that is to say, if you beat your servant to death, but they continue to live for a couple of days, then the master should not be punished at all, for he is his money. You see that? I mean, you know, these, like I'm telling you, these are difficult provisions in the Torah. If men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit departs from her and yet no mischief follow, he shall surely be punished according as the woman's man will lay upon him and he shall pay as the judges determine. So in other words, you get damages for abortion or for miscarriage. A guy comes up and kicks your wife in the stomach while she's pregnant. She loses the baby. Oh, you get damages. And if any mischief follows, then you shall give life for a life. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wood for wound, stripe for stripe. Now, of course, this provision is soundly criticized throughout the modern world. Well, if it's eye for an eye, pretty soon the whole world will be blind. Well. You know, this is actually the law of uh, perfect remuneration. In other words, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever been in this kind of a situation, but you have an uninsured driver hits the car you just paid off and totals it. You know, you want the value of the car. 
the whole value of the car, what it's going to cost you to put you back into the position you were in when you had your car completely paid off. But if you paid cash for a Cadillac and you drove it off the curb and an uninsured, uninsured driver smashes into you and totals the vehicle, you're not going to get 100% of the value of that car back. You're going to get about half its value back because the blue book value is only going to give you its used value, not the fact that it only had seven miles on it and you just drove it over the curb, right? Because we do not have a compensation plan in place in this world because we decided that this is an inappropriate standard. And so you've got a very interesting uh, situation here. Now, there's people who are saying that this law, they call the Talian in the Greek, that this Talian is coming back and that people that are suffering the oppression from what's going on right now as a computer rules over us with no consideration for mankind at all, that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is coming back. And of course, this is a willingness in, I think, animosity and even hatred we're going to see coming. Yeah, and if <clears throat> Dr. P. Yosha, Yosha said to turn the other cheek. If he wants your coat, give him your pants too or whatever. So to you're, me, you're yeah. to me, this is Yosha fulfilled all this and took it to the cross in my opinion <laughs> you know i mean wow. if somebody hit my paid off car well then i'm i'm out of luck and i praise you all for it and turn and walk away that's how i think we have to look at this in my opinion but i, I just i see yosha's a little bit opposite on these but yeah I hear you. No, I, and I, I understand what you're talking about, and especially when you talk about um, material things, right? Material things are really junk. I mean, when you get when you get to the bottom line, it's all junk. It's all going to wear out. It's all going to fall apart. But you know, we talk about this, and I'm not sure that they're um, that they're the same thing, Alicia. I don't think they are. And the reason I say that is because. Uh, for instance, you know, would Yasha turn the other cheek when it comes to a mass murderer? No, but Yah said that he gets the wrath on these things. We are to pray for our enemies and love our enemies. And so if you have a daughter, you know, my daughter's 33, but let's say you know, the beast system takes her and makes her a slave. You know, what can I do about it? Nothing, but Yah can. So all these judgments. Yeah, I, understand. I understand it, but I'm going to ask you. I mean, this is a question for all of us, I think, today, when we look at this portion. There was a case that happened in Washington, you know, I'm going to call it 15 years ago, maybe. But uh, a husband and wife, living next door to her mom and dad and her mom and dad invited her sister and her husband and their two kids over for christmas but did not invite her and her husband because i don't know family riff or whatever it was so on christmas day her and her husband went over to the house 
and killed her mother and father, killed her sister and her husband, and killed their two children. Killed six people. Now, what do we do in those circumstances? Well, I and, know what are you asking me? Or? <laughs> no, I'm asking you. I'm trying to get an opinion from from people in the group too. I want to find uh, out. What I know that, uh, of course, uh, I mean, I, Yahusha talks about in Matthew 5 with the, uh, you know, blessed are those who, you know, seek justice, uh, righteousness. I think where you're getting at, uh, Alicia, I, I, Alicia, sorry. That's right. um, I, uh, I had that same perspective, too, um, as to allowing Yah and his wrath you know, to do his judgment. Right. And, uh, you know, at times I, I, I bless them in that kind of way because they do need mercy in whatever fault they've done against me. Right. Whether it was against me personally or a materialistic kind of thing, which does perish. But I think what Yahusha is, is really trying to say is, is if you have done, um, any kind of offense, right. Um, restore that person fully, Kind of like the way the uh, the Samaritan is lying on the ground, restore that person fully. Um, even at that point, if it's not your fault, but if it is your fault, of course, um, these are some judgments uh, for us to, to be able to restore it with that that neighbor or even that stranger. Uh, you know of what's happening here. If you accidentally hit somebody, you are to restore that other person. And of course, we also have now these insurance assurances that have you know um because i've seen it right um i work in a firm i don't know everything you know uh, i'm you know lower than an amateur at this stuff but trying to gain understanding as to how to somebody should restore that for example i had my son and my daughter play with my nieces um that little roller thing on the ground that they stand on i forgot what it's called the, the scooter yeah, that- thingy yeah they were playing with it on the street and there was a puddle on the side, you know, that was pretty bad. My son accidentally drove into it and it messed up that machine thing. Right. We know it's materialistic. We understand that. And so for me, what I did, I was like, well, let's try to, let's give it a week or two. Right. It never worked. It was dead battery operated, nothing. They couldn't do anything. They didn't have warranty on it. And I was like, ah, so for me personally, I was like, okay, you know, well, I'm going to restore it. I might not go out and buy it, but I'm going to ask my sister how much it was. She gave me an estimated price of like 90 bucks. So I personally said, well, you know what? Here's a hundred bucks. And, and I restored it because it was my son's fault accident. It was an accident. So, you know, in this perspective, I think um, that's just a little small, you know, example that, that y'all put in my heart to do because, um, you know, yes, I know it's just a toy, but uh, it costs something to to my my sister. You okay. Know. Well, going back to what Doctor P said about the woman killing everybody, to me, she's right. dead already. She's she's not a believer, and she's dead already. So let the dead bury the dead, or whatever. I I, I mean, as a true believer of Yahweh, you you don't practice what that woman did what dr p's talking about with murder so 
I, I regress to speak anymore. But I mean, but I mean, you know. But the thing is, is that what, what do we do with her? What do we do? With you judge judge them in the way that um, that they went out and committed intentional murder. Uh, Torah says that you get the death penalty for it. That's simple, straight up. I mean, no discussion about it. And um, if you walk across the street and and kill somebody, you've done it with intention because the, you had that in your heart. Yahweh is going to judge us on the condition of our heart. How did we feel about it? What did we do? Did we um, did we come to a point where the the hatred was so great that that you already killed them in your heart, and and you went out and actually did the physical act? So um, two things are going on here. Uh, there's a physical act and a spiritual thing going on because you already had the intent. You already had that in your heart to go out and do what you did. So they need to get the death penalty. Case closed. Thank you. Yeah, another question to that. I, I think there's actually also a way that this person who's committed this crime can also be redeemed. Is that right, Dr. P, as far as them going to, I think, another nation outside of that camp, if they commit a murder in that camp, they can go to another place to be redeemed? Is that correct? Or I don't know where I, I remember that. I thought that was for only un for unintentional murder, that the person went to a, a city that was designated for people so that they, um, family or something, couldn't seek revenge. Right. Yeah. If a if a person is out in the field, and the scripture says they give you an example, if a person's out in the field and they're chopping wood, and and the axe head comes off the the handle as you're chopping wood and swinging the axe, and it kills a person, that's accidental. That was not intentional. That's when they can go to that safe city. And and that's that's a but. If, if you took that axe and you started actually swinging it at that person with intent, then that's murder. That's a different story. Now, um, I want to speak. I want to speak to this. For, hold on. Hold on. Yeah. I want to speak to this for just a second. Because you have to remember that there is. There's two sides to this justice coin. You know, if if you're saying that this person, it's OK for this person to intentionally kill this other person then you have joined that murder yourself. I've joined that murder. Right, right. If, if you're saying it's okay, it's okay for this, this, this couple to kill six people uh, in their own family, and then, you know, and there's not going to be any punishment. We're going to wait for Yah's wrath to come upon these two. Then you've joined the conspiracy. You've joined them in the murder of the six. I mean, that's right. That's you're right. Accountable. You're accountable. You're just as accountable as if you were there doing it yourself. Right. So these people, these two that went over there and killed those six are guilty. They deserve the death penalty. Oh, and by the way, James, I'll tell you, they, in fact, they didn't even contest it. When they got arrested, they said, yeah, we did it. And we're deserving of the death penalty. This yeah. came out of their mouth. Now, neither one of them got the death penalty, by the way. Got, well, they, that's because we have we have such liberal courts in this land today that uh, they can't stomach uh, that they have to put somebody to death. And, well, it's and, a difficult and, issue. But, 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 you know, 
Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. All right. So, the, um, so look, then, then look at Seoul. Let's look at Seoul there. You know, I mean, here he is killing and persecuting the, 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 early, the early believers. And what happens to him? You know, so we got, I, don't, I don't know. I think we've got to be very careful. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing you. That's part of the reason why we're talking Can about this oh. issue. I mean, when we talk about the death penalty, you know, the death penalty has been suspended. You know, if you go back into British history, they used to hang everybody. I mean, they'd hang you at the drop of a pen. Oh, this mm -hmm. kid took back in class, hang him. And the hangman would show up and they'd have kids hanging from the street corners, you know. And uh, so you had the death penalty that became very rampant and robust. Then you have this death penalty in the United States, which is, you know, there's they have a thing called cruel and unusual punishment that's prohibited by the Constitution. But the Supreme Court has ruled over and over again. Oh, well, you know, putting a guy down in the chair and hitting him with electric voltage, that's not cruel and unusual. And nobody has adjudicated the fact that when you give somebody the death penalty and you say, okay, we're going to give you the death penalty, then do you kill? Oh, no. You put them in a cell in solitary confinement where they can't see the sunlight for 12 years. Then you walk them down to the death chamber. And then while they're sitting in the death chamber ready to die, oh, you've, it's been commuted for a few minutes. You know, we've got an appeal. Then you take them back to their cell and you do this two or three times. Then you finally kill them. You know, I mean, and that's not considered cruel and unusual punishment either. You know, the truth is, is that the death penalty, a proper death penalty, is what it says in scripture. It's death by hanging. And the death by hanging is to be done promptly. And if you did it the, the correct way, which is the way they do what they finally did it in Britain, and the way they used to do it in the American West, was, you know, you had a, a huge hemp rope with 13 knots twisted around it. 13 times the rope would be twisted around it. And they'd put it alongside your head like this. And they put enough weight on your feet that when you fell, it broke your neck instantly. And so, you know, you were dead uh, in a second. When, when the thing went down, boom, it was, it was done. And so this was by far the most humane death penalty there is. And it's over. You've been, you've been, you know, you've been, you've been, you know, adjudicated guilty. You're getting the death penalty. You're done. It's over. And so the death penalty is a big issue. It's a big issue among all of us. And I have to tell you, I've been on both sides of this issue. I think the, 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 problem, the problem with this is, Doc, that uh, the courts become unjust. And, you know, like we've got it here in South Africa, right? I mean, the courts become unjust. Once the courts are unjust, then we can persecute somebody for a murder that they did not commit. And that, that is where this whole thing gets, because man is man. We, we, we can't, I mean, you know, we can't keep to honor and, and, and integrity. We, we'll always go off that path. Give it 20 years, give it 30 years, and boom, we're off the path. Um, well, we know, so we I, know I, for instance, in the States, Chris, we know there's, it's been documented that there are at least 84 cases of the death penalty being wrongly inflicted, that the guys were found to have not committed the crime. But on the other hand, you have a guy like uh, Ted Bundy, you know, and James will, rec will recognize that name. He was put to death in Florida and he killed 32 women, 32 young girls. So, well, they were young. I mean, in my opinion, they were girls. They were under 25 and uh, he would choke them to death, you know, 
And uh, and so eventually he got the electric chair in Florida. And so and there was no question that he was guilty at that point. I mean, he admitted to all the crimes and everything that had happened. But but you're right, Chris. I mean, when you talk about judges being immune from giving someone the death penalty, then it turns out that they were wrong. And the judge was just, you know, uh, inflicting the death penalty out of hubris. Yeah. We have big issues, right? And, and then, but, I mean, uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine they saying, "Well, now those that, that don't have the jab, uh, like I think Jennifer's just said, um, you know, they also need the, the death penalty because they are murderers." Well, yeah, you know, yeah. then you go to a bunch of Chris. Sorry. I don't cut you off. But we had the Parkland shootings down here in Florida several years back where 17 students were shot and killed at the school. And um, they went through the trial and everything. They had all the evidence to show that this, this teenager that killed his homies was as guilty as ever. And instead of giving him the death penalty, after killing 17 people, they just give him a life, in, a life sentence. Uh, that is not justice, according to scripture. It should have been the death penalty for this other boy, too. Well, I mean, here we, here we are, here we are, James. When we talk about this, this is one of the big issues that we see in the Torah. And you can see that we have a lively discussion going here today over the provisions of this aspect in the Torah. I mean, here it is, right? You can see it. It's very clear that Moshe is not beating around the bush here. If you do this, he shall be put to death, right? I mean, and it's this is not you know this is not mood for mood. This is these shall be put to death. If a man smites the eye of a servant, or the eye of his maiden, that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. But if he smites out his man servant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth sake. So the servant gets to go if the master accidentally put his eye out or took his tooth out. But you can see here, you can see here that these laws in Moshe's Torah here, these become very difficult laws. And we don't see here at, you know, in every premise, and Yahweh then said this, 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 and this. We see Moshe delivering this, this law. And from this law, we have seen the foundation of law throughout the Western world. I mean, this is where it comes from. The idea of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, is the idea that there is compensation, and the compensation is supposed to be exact. That's what the point is. It's not that, gee, it's eye for an eye, tooth for revenge, but rather it's compensation. If And in fact, when you get to where you have people stealing from one another, if you steal something, you have a double, you have a duty of double indemnification. You have to repay it twice if you stole it right and it and but you don't see this now i mean for instance if you're a store owner and somebody breaks into your store and steals ten thousand dollars worth of goods you don't get any of that back they take it and put it in evidence and they hit the guy with a fine and it wasn't until the 90s that they actually introduced a recompensation plan and so the guy's in prison for eight years and he's paying you 25 bucks a month eight years do you ever get your 10 grand back of the, of the store the stuff you stole never you never get it back the state gets it back the state will take all his money and hit him with a fine that empties his bank accounts and everything else 
but you'll never get it. You'll never get a dime because they don't believe in this remuneration. But this is a, a principle that's found here in the Torah, this remuneration is, and that's what the idea with the eye, eye for nine and tooth for tooth. So when we take a dis, disparity in opinion here on this, Chris, we say, well, look, Moshe is not right on this. Well, then we're saying something. Now, you know me, you know, I was the one that came out and said, look, when you read scripture, and, and Live's iPhone brought this up earlier, when you bring when you read scripture, they come to they come to Mashiach and they say, Moshe gave us a certificate of divorce. <laughs> and Mashiach says to them, I tell you the truth, Moshe suffered to give you a certificate of divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. But in the beginning, it was not so. So what does this tell you? It tells you that there was a Torah that Moshe contradicted. There was a Torah that existed before Moshe, and Moshe contradicted it. Now, this becomes an important premise for those people who are, quote-unquote, Torah observant. I'm Torah observant. Therefore, everything, and I've had, believe me, I've had these discussions at Sukkot, you know, in, in uh, Sukkot camps where everybody's camped out and doing their thing. And I've had these discussions as well. What do you think about this particular provision in Exodus? Are you on board with the bond servant idea? Are you on board with keeping the children of the bond servant? And then when we get to, there'll be a you discussion. Okay? Hold on just a second, Carol. You're making a little bit too much noise. Oh. Hold on. I got you. If you're talking about, when you talk about the bond, when you get into the next chapter, you're talking about chattel property. Chattel property. And this was the provision that was, that's why I had to bring up William Wilberforce. When you look at chattel property and you look at what's being said and you look at the Dred Scott decision, Dred Scott was taking the position consistent here. What, what is this? Look, here's the Torah portion saying that if a man smites his servant or his maid with a rod and he dies under his hand, he's not going to get the death penalty. He's only going to be punished. He's not going to get the death penalty. Why? Because his servant is his money. Okay. Well, when you see that, you see a diminution in the value of the servant. You have a human being who's not a servant, and then you have somebody less who is a servant. And so in the Constitution, the Constitution of the United States came right up point blank and said it that African-Americans were three-fifths human. It came right out and said it. And if you read the Sanford B. Scott decision, it's called the Dred Scott decision, Justice Taney, writing in that decision, says, yeah, African-Americans are three-fifths human. So as a consequence, they don't have human rights. They're chattel property. And chattel property, once owned, cannot be taken away, notwithstanding the provision in the Torah to the contrary. And they substantiated their claim premised upon the writings of Moshe. So when you see this kind of difficulty, I'm really glad we're having this discussion today. Because when we talk about the Torah and being Torah observant, you're not just talking about Moshe. The Torah 
is that this is why Mashiach said to the Samaritan woman, ye know not what ye worship. Salvation is of the Yahudim. Because he was telling her, you're up here reading the Samaritan Pentateuch and saying, this is the beginning and the ending of scripture. And I'm telling you, salvation is not found in the Samaritan Pentateuch, but instead is found in every word that has been inspired by Yah, including the Ketuvim, including the Nevi'im, the writings and the prophets. These were all, and this is why Mashiach quoted from the Psalms and quoted from other sources, because he's telling you that the, you know, and Mashiach quoting from Enoch, interestingly enough, he's telling you that these other texts are part of the writing. And that when we talk about the controlling authority in the believer's life, it is not just Moshe. It's not just Moshe. Okay. Uh, it's and this is why you know this is why the the scribes and the Pharisees at the Council of Jamnia wanted Ezekiel out. They didn't want to allow Ezekiel into Scripture because it, Ezekiel says point blank, Moshe gave them bad law, and they didn't want Jeremiah in there because Jeremiah said the lying pen of the scribes. They wanted these things out because they didn't want you to know that there was error in Moshe's law. Yeah. And, and I, I think, think that's there where is. Rule, rule of government comes from, right? I mean, you, you, when you've got a book like this and it's telling you things like this, well, then you can rule people with iron first. And I mean, we've had it here in South Africa. Right? I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of atrocities happened here against uh, uh, people in South Africa. And, um, well, with the consequence that we've gone sort of the other way and, and abolished the, the, the death penalty, um, which brings a whole new new set of problems. But it's interesting that this, this one scripture, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, is then quoted by Yahusha himself in Matthew 5. And I was wondering what the connotations are because uh, this specifically is talking about the woman, uh, the woman with child, you know, and then, uh, well, it, it, it sort of is in that same chapter. Uh, so, and, and the mischief, uh, uh, and yet no mischief followed, but then obviously the mischief is maybe after the child, the child, the woman loses the child, the fruit. Apart from it, I don't know. Interesting though. Well, yeah. What can I say? What oh. happens when the woman murders her child in the womb? Yeah, well, again, you know, here you're talking about when you look at the reasoning, if, and again, if you have you go back and read Roe versus Wade to look mm -hmm. at that reasoning. Um, you know, the question is, is that under the British common law, life did not begin until the child breathed. That was the British common law standard, that life did not begin until the child breathed. And there is scriptural support. Do you support. believe that? Do I believe it? No, I'm just telling you what the common okay. law says. Okay. Okay. And when you talk about, when you, there is scripture to support that idea that, the, and it's in Moshe's Torah, that the child's life begins uh, with the breath. 
Now, what I believe is that uh, Leviticus 17.11 says that the, the soul of the flesh is in the blood. And so as soon as a blood type is established, you have a life, you have a soul there. And so the blood type is established with the spark of life. I mean, when, when the, the, the sperm enters the ovum, there's a flash of light that has been seen, witnessed. And when the flash of light is, is seen, then a blood type is created. And, and most of the time, the blood type is disparate to the woman's blood type. And so when you, when you recognize that, that a woman says my body, my choice, but it really isn't her body because there's a separate blood type there. So, you know, and of course the question is when we talk about this, again, we're dealing with some very difficult issues here in Moshe's Torah. And when you compare this, like Alicia was saying earlier about the teaching of Hamashiach, the teaching of Hamashiach is, you know, uh, is this doctrine of forgiveness, which, by the way, is a very powerful doctrine, probably the most powerful doctrine we see. And it was the whole thing that changed everything in the faith. Because if we had not had the doctrine of forgiveness, all of us, we would have been dead in our 20s. I have because a comment. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. yeah, go ahead, David. Uh, in the in the Torah portion, uh, the all in the ear is an example of all those that are on the mountain with with the lamb and always shall be with the lamb. Their ears have been pure. They've given up their life, given up the life that they have chosen that that service to serve the lamb. I've had this for a long time, and then in in uh, the verse. 14. Verse 14 really confirms quite a few things. Uh, I have it in the ISR, but I don't have it open in the suffer, but I, uh, you, if you read verse 14, it would be, uh, I would I, I'd love to comment on it. It has to do with pre being presumptuous. And it has to do with those that are presumptuous. Are yeah, but if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Okay, so I see that as those that are alive and remain and have a blend between the, uh, the hearing of the voice of Yahuwah and the hearing of their opinion. And those are alive and remain. And that's the ones, those are, this, is what, this is the group that has to come to the first group. They have to die to self. And, and uh, whether that is total physical uh, there's a high possibility that'll happen. The issue is, is that if we're going to rise, that bunch is going to rise and uh, be part of that uh, remnant. And that's only a small remnant. The whole, the whole group of all the nations, of all the heathens that know and come, uh, they're not on the mountain with the lamb. They're not that remnant that have their ears pierced to hear his word and his word only, his voice. You can't combo the thing and be presumptuous and and believe that you're going to receive anything from you so to die to self and have that ear pierced you have to give up your own your own high your own life you can't choose both of them that's the way i've seen it and it's getting bigger and i ain't leaving it because i know it's manifesting more in my life and 
it's a big deal. This portion is a really big deal in understanding what that all is. Now, let's, let me talk just one second about the ring. The ring I see when the, the son that squandered his, his inheritance and wound up uh, eating slop in the pig pens and headed back to the, uh, the father's house. The father met him along, saw him coming and came out to meet him. And by the time he got to the house and went into the house, that ring that was put on, the signet ring. The signet ring is the authority of the father. That's a that that's given to uh, the 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 northern the remnant of the northern tribes that are the Kodashim, the, the chosen, and come to that position of authority. That's just a small remnant, and those are the ones that go with the bridegroom, the ones that rise first. Uh, it really has something to do with what I'm going to raise my hand to a little bit later on, but uh, that's the way I see it, brother, and have seen it, and it's not getting bigger. I mean, it gets smaller. It's getting bigger. Shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, David. Thank you. I do appreciate that. Debar Can again? I come into... Hold Sorry, on. I've got something about law. Okay, all right. Go ahead, Kathy. Then we'll come back to you, Debari. Okay, give me just... And it's also... Oh, sorry. And, and Jean... Okay. Um, coming back to the law, we are to respect the laws of the land, but I believe it's only when the land is acting by Yah's laws. Because let me tell you, um, I certainly won't be respecting the Antichrist laws, that's for sure. And when it comes to murder, if somebody goes out to intentionally with evil to go and kill and murder a person and they say okay hang me it's suicide but when they put christ on the cross or the tree that was the romans being obedient to the masters so it's a different type of murder that's why Yeshua said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. But when we come back to Judah, they were shouting out, hang him, hang him, hang him. That was intent. When the Romans put him on the cross, it was order. Mm, yeah, interesting point, Catherine. Interesting point. When you talk about and the collective guilt of murder, right? The collective guilt there. We, yeah. If if we send out military men to war and they start killing people, they come back free men. They don't get added for murder. They do, but so I can that's tell you. Why, I can tell you, though, they may not be brought I'm up. I'm sure they do. Hold on. Of, hold on. Hold on. You know, I'll tell you, if you walk through a battleground, a battlefield, and you see the dead, which I have. Uh, I've been there, the Rhodesian and, War. And when you do that, rest assured that, that, that those men have been judged because they're wandering the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. And so it's and not a thing. we can send you out to battle and you have a license to kill. Mm -hmm. 
but they're going to kill other soldiers, but that's under order. It's not because they're intentionally going to kill somebody for because they've got evil in their hearts to their family. I well, think I they're mean, different. Yeah, for instance, when you talk about when you talk about again, when we're talking about the Pentateuch, the command's given to Joshua. You go into that village and you kill them, man, woman, and child, and all of their animals. Now, this has been roundly criticized throughout the civilized world for the last 33,000 years. Mm -hmm. That you, They were told to go in and kill man, woman, and child, and even the animals. What kind of a ruthless god of war would do that? One well, that wanted to yeah, kill giants. Yeah. We know that that was... We knew that that was corrupted. Danny. Okay, now hold on, Catherine. I want to get some a word from Dabari and then from Jean here. So Dabari, you were going to bring some stuff in yes, here? I think the biggest problem people have is they, they choose to be offended. And that's why, you know, a lot of this terrible things happen. If we just would learn to be joyful in all things and be forgiving. I think of Stephen where he's being... Brutalized, and yet he's saying, "Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing." Yeah, but anyway, they, they, being offended—that's our biggest problem. Yeah, that's a big, the big part of it. And Jean, you wanted to say something. Hold on, you're still muted. You're still muted. Press your space bar there, Jean. That should yeah. there you go. Just going back to the beginning of, um, I think it's chapter twenty-one, isn't it? Uh, Yahuwah is actually speaking to Moses and telling him to go and speak to people. These are people that have been brought out of Egypt who are set apart people. They're already set apart. He's come and spoken to them and they have agreed to abide by Yah's laws and what Yah says to do and not to do. So they're in an agreement with him already. This, these um, uh, rules and um, commandments are not for the whole of the world. They, they don't compare to today, really, to the world governments. They're, they're to the set apart people. And when Yahweh, so you agree, they agree to abide by these um, uh, commandments. And then, you know, um, Jethro had spoken to Moses and said, you know, put judges in place. So there was already a system in place to judge people and the very serious things went to Moses. So Moses was putting these in place with Yah's instructions, but they were to a set apart people, not to the nations, but to the set apart people. Yeah, a very important point. And the other yeah. thing I wanted to point out is, so what I was saying was these to set apart people um, who had already agreed to abide by the rules. And then when Yahushua came and he say, and we say, you know, judgment is Yahushua's. To live in the land of the set-apart people, you have to abide by the rules of Yahweh. Yeah? But justice is not of the judges. Justice... Punishment is of the judges. What will happen to them if you do this, that, and the other? They still have to. They still have to stand before Yah and face the judgment and the justice of Yah. And justice is mine, says Yahweh. 
Yeah, that's a very good point because th this is a very good point too. And again, you know, again, when uh, quite often when we see this put to death in scripture, we see it in the Hebrew, it's written mut vamut, which the English interpreter said, you shall put them to death or he shall surely be put to death. But in the Hebrew, it doesn't read that way. It reads, shall surely die the death. Now, just take a look and I'll give you an example. So in, in verse 15, and he that smites his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. But that most likely reads mut vamut, which case it would read, he that smites his father or mother shall surely die the death. Now that's a bit different. That's a bit different when you're talking about die the death versus being put to death. Because die the death could also mean and in many cases, you see this, even in the modern world, you're expelled from the community. We don't know you. You know, your parents have a funeral for you. You know what I mean? And I've seen this happen many times. The person's still living. But, you know, like, for instance, in the Jewish world, you convert to Christianity. Your parents will have a funeral for you. That person died. We don't know them anymore. They're dead to us. Right? And you see this because then what happens? That... He that smites his mother or father shall surely die the death. He that steals a man and sells him should be found in his hand. He shall surely die the death. He that curses his father or his mother shall surely die the death. Well, you know, in, in many respects, this could mean something other than actually physically being killed. Now, you do have specific provisions. There is provisions in the Torah. You shall take this person out and stone them. Or you shall take her out and, you know, and burn her, or you shall take him out and hang him. I mean, there's specific provisions that say, this is how you're going to kill this person. But when you're talking about this kind of, this language here, I don't, I'm not so sure that being put to death is the best expression for mood vamut. You know, I mean, literally it transfers, it translates as die and die. You know, move for move, die and die. The person shall die and die. Sounds like the second death, not. Yeah, I thought it sounded like the second death also. But the other thing is, is this is why Yahushua came that yes, you know, our sins might be forgiven on this earth, but we still have to face the final judgment. And people who have murdered, people who have done horrendous things, even if they have turned to Yah, they will still have to answer for those horrendous crimes i'm quite sure quite sure they'll still have to see that pass before their eyes i don't know the whole thing but i just feel they'll still have to account for what they did they're still in accounting yeah yeah and so i think this is the point chris was making earlier is that there is a spiritual side we look at where you know this these laws are so overwhelming when you first see them that we look at the we only see the physical side of it without seeing the spiritual side. Now, Randall just mentioned that, you know, mut uh, vamut could mean you will die here and die there. You know, you die here on this earth and you die in, 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 uh, in, in heaven. And uh, so, I mean, it's possible that that's, that that's what this meaning is, but, but again, uh, we, we're dealing with, uh, we're dealing with a very difficult issue here in the, in the Torah. And, uh, you know, so 
um, and again, I find it, I just have, I, I just have real problems with the idea. I'm sorry about this, Gene, but I have real problems with the idea of the way they're handling the, the, the bond servant, the maid, the maid servant. And it gets worse when we talk about the chattel property, right? So let's, let's continue on, right? Yeah, but I, I still think you have to recognize that Yai is speaking to people who have agreed to abide by his, you know. Right, it's a, discreet, it's a discreet group of people. It's not for everybody. It's a discreet group. And yeah. I mean, this is something that we see too, you know, like you oftentimes you'll hear this in Christian churches. Oh, look at the context. Look at the context. Look at the context. Okay, I'm looking at the context. I didn't live in, in Corinth. Therefore, I'm not... Uh, listening to anything that's in first or second Corinthians that was only directed to the people in Corinth. I've never lived in Corinth. Therefore it doesn't apply to me. Sure. Or you know, I wasn't a Roman. Therefore Romans doesn't apply to me. Right. But I mean, and, and arguably you could make that argument. I mean, when you, when you look at what happened in Corinth and how bad it was, then he's, then Paul's going to give specific regulations for those people in Corinth. And, you know, like, for instance, how many times have you heard, and I've heard that I've heard it a billion times, when Paul says, I don't permit women to speak in church. Right? There are, there are, most of the women I know completely reject that premise out of Paul. They might believe in every other word that comes out of his mouth, but they don't believe in that one. Or when I used to confront the Christian churches and say, it says right here in 1 Corinthians 11, that if a woman shows up in church with short hair, you're supposed to shave her head. Are we going to shave the pastor's wife's head now because she's here with short hair? Uh, well, I thought Paul was your savior. You guys have been teaching Paul, 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 like Paul was the one on the cross. Right? And I'm not here to criticize Paul, but I can tell you that that translation of Paul with, and, and that particular phrasing is wrong. It was inaccurate, period. It was inaccurate. What he was saying is if a woman's head is shaved, then she is to be covered so that she isn't obscene when she prophesies and prays in the church. Not that her head is to be shaved, right? It's just, I mean, you know, anyway, crazy stuff. All right, but let's continue. I'm going to get back under this passage here. If an ox gores a man or a woman that they died, then the ox shall be stoned. See, this is not question. There's no moot for moot. This is if the ox gores a person, kill the ox, and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be innocent. But if the ox were wont to push with his horn in times past, and it's been testified to his owner and has not kept him in, but that he has killed a man or woman, then the ox shall be stoned, and the owner shall also be put to death. Now, this is an interesting law, and by the way, this law is in place in most jurisdictions. If you have a dog that has bitten a person. If the dog bites a person, okay, then you had something happen, the dog bit a person and drew blood. The second time the, draw, the dog draws blood from a person, you can get sued and you're gonna lose because you knew that the dog was a vicious dog. Pure and simple. That's the way the law reads, even now. If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give the ransom of his life, whatever is laid upon him. Okay, we're not going to stone you to death for what your ox did, but you're going to pay a sum of money. Whether he has gored a son or has gored a daughter, according to the judgment, it shall be done unto him. If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give her 
30 shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned. 30, 30 pieces of silver, 30 shekels right there. Let's see if I can get Daniel in here. Okay. And if a man shall open a pit or if a man shall dig a pit and not cover it and an ox or an ass falls therein, the owner of the pit shall make it good and give money to the owner of them. The dead beast shall be his. Okay, again, these rules apply. Even right now in Montana, these rules apply. In Idaho, they apply. If the ox of one man hurts the ox of another that he dies, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money of it, and the dead ox they shall also divide. Or if it be known that the ox has been used to push in time past and the owner has not kept him in, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead ox shall be his own. So again, once again, you're seeing these principles of compensation, principles of remuneration, principles of damages for torts and liability that is assigned to the owner of the animal. These are all foundations in, in, in modern law and in the common law. Okay, if a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it and sell it, he shall restore five oxen. Oh, here we go. Five-time damages if you steal it. Five-time damages, four times for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in, and is smitten that he dies, there shall be no blood shed for him. Now, let me tell you, this is the law in, I think, all 50 states. If a thief breaks into your house and you shoot him right inside the doorway, nobody's going to arrest you. Some, in some states, like Texas, he doesn't have to be inside the door. If the sun has risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him, for he should make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. In other words, if he survives the shooting or whatever happens to him, then there shall be blood shed for him or he, for he shall make full restitution. And if he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the theft be certainly found in his hand alive, whether it be an ox or an ass or sheep, he shall restore double. A man shall cause a field or vineyard to be eaten and shall be put in his beast and shall feed it to another man's field of the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard, shall he make restitution. In other words, if you put your sheep in somebody else's pasture, then you're going to lose all what's in your pasture. If fire breaks out and catches in the thorns so that stacks of grain are standing greater, the field be consumed, he that kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. Again, this is a law that's prevalent in all 50 states now. You start a fire, you're going to have to pay for it. And it's a big deal, particularly when you burn thousands of acres. If a man shall deliver unto his neighbor money or stuff to guard, and it's stolen out of the man's house, or if the thief be found, let him pay double. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought unto the judges to see whether he's put his hand under his neighbor's goods. Now, this is a law of bailment that you know even applies to banks today. For all manner of transgression, whether it be for ox, for ass, for sheep, raiment, or any other manner of lost things, which another one challenges to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges. And whom the judges shall condemn, he shall pay double unto his neighbor. Tell it to the banks, right? We took all your money. Oh, okay. Well, instead of you having to pay it back, we'll go ahead and just do a bailout for you because you guys are too big to fail. Uh, wait a minute. 
If a man delivers unto his neighbor an ass, an ox, or a sheep, or any beast to guard it, and it dies or is hurt, no man seeing it, then shall an oath of Yahweh be between them both that he has not put his hand under his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept it thereof, and shall not make it good. But if it be stolen from him, and he shall make restitution unto the owner, if it be torn in pieces, then let him bring it for a witness, and he shall make good that which was torn. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor, and it be hurt or dies, or the owner thereof not being with it, he shall surely make it good. But if the owner thereof be with it, he shall not make it good. It be a higher thing it came for his hire. Dr. In other words, go ahead, Matthew. Do you mind sharing your screen again? Uh, sure. Good idea. Okay, and so here, if you're talking about it, if a guy comes over and says, hey, I need, I need your ox to come over and plow my field. And so you bring the ox over, and then the ox dies. Well, you're with it. Therefore, there's, there's nothing that's going to be paid. If a man entices a maid that is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely endow her to be his woman. In other words, if you do that, then you need to marry her. If her father utterly refuses to give her unto him, then he shall pay money according to the dowry aversions. So he shall have to cough up her dowry, whatever that may be. You shall not suffer a witch to live. Boom. Don't tell people this, man, because once you get into Salem, well, that woman's a witch. Burn her. And a lot of that was being done because hysterical girls were enjoying the power they had. And the guys were willing to go along with it because the women that were being accused of witchcraft owned property. Whoever lies for the beast shall surely be put to death. He that sacrifices unto any Elohim save unto Yahweh, he shall be utterly destroyed. You shall neither vex a stranger nor oppress him. You were strangers in the land of Mitzrayim. What? Yeah. Don't vex the immigrant. You were strangers once in Mitzrayim. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all out unto me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath shall wax hot and I will kill you with the sword and your women shall be widows and your children shall be fatherless. Well, that is a pretty straightforward teaching now, isn't it? If you lend money to any of my people that is poor by you, you shall not be to him as a user. Okay, here, let me see if we can understand this in the modern world. No usury. No interest. Hey, MasterCard, Visa. No interest. Hey, Federal Reserve. No interest. Neither shall you lay upon him usury. There used to be usury laws. We're going, to, we're going to declare this to be usurious. Anything over 6%, anything over 8%, anything over 12%. What's the exception? Everything. You mean there's an exception to the usury law? Oh, yeah. You can't charge usury except when you do. And then it's okay. 
If you take your neighbor's raiment to pledge, you shall deliver it unto him by the, by the time the sun goes down, for that's his covering only, and it's his raiment for skin. Okay, pawnbrokers, don't take people's coats. And when it comes to, when he cries out to me, I will hear it for I am gracious. You shall not revile the Elohim. You shall not revile the Elohim, nor curse the ruler of your people. Hmm, what's he talking about there? Anybody got any ideas? You shall not revile the Elohim. What's he talking about? The judges. Well, we know that. No. Okay. We're talking about the judges. Okay, all right. Let's go with that. That's a good answer. The the um, the, um, the Pharisees were reviling the um, during the uh, crucifixion. They were reviling the criminals and and Yahushua on the cross. They were sending. Uh, I guess they were saying or or cursing them or while they were being or being killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, th I think it's interesting. You shall not revile the Elohim. Hmm. Okay, 29. You shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe fruits and of your liquors. The first of your sons shall you give unto me. Likewise, you shall do with your oxen and with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with his dam, and on the eighth day you shall give it to me. And ye shall be holy men unto me, neither shall ye eat any flesh that is torn of the beasts of the field, and ye shall cast it to the dogs. Okay. Okay. Quick note. Yeah, how, does, how does 1 Samuel chapter 8 factor into this when, you know, our father Abba was supposed to be our king, and mankind didn't want him to be our king any longer. And they all voted for their president or for their prime minister. And now in these days of hard times, they, everybody wants to pray. But what does he say at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 8? That I will not hear your prayers. Yeah, I will not hear your prayer anymore concerning wanting to restore your, your former governance. That's ah. what he's talking about. Oh. So... Once you've once you've gone over to your own government, you're not going back. And we've never have gone back. We've we've been under that, we've been under government ever since. He will not tolerate a prayer of saying, let's go back to having Yah exclusively as our king. That's not going to happen until the millennial how, reign. How can we find a way of escape being a, a, a national instead of a citizen? Well, uh yeah. That's a long. That's a long question. Okay, and sorry. We have to be able to address that when we get into studies on the common law. Are we going to uh -huh. be able to give a little bit, a little bit more concise roadmap as to what's involved? And um, you know, I think a lot of this is is coming. I mean, we're starting to see this really in the uh, throughout the body politic. People people are arriving at a point where. Um, I mean, just as kind of a side note here, you know, in. Uh, well, in I, I heard I heard on I think it was this Thursday I heard uh, where it was said that, uh, you know, um, you being a citizen, meaning you're taking federal benefits, Social Security, Medicare, 
disability, whatever it is, in, or insurance of some kind, uh, that they that they have you over a barrel because they will make you take a, a mandated vaccine uh, if you want to continue to get those benefits. Yeah, I know that's being discussed right now. That's the, currently the case in Canada. They're, they're, they've got that on the table and it's being discussed in the U.S. And, you know, that really is a uh, substantial breach of contract. You know, if I come to you and say, OK, look, I'm going to sell you a car and, you know, you're going to pay me 200 a month uh, for your car payment. And then I'm going to give you the car. And then you come back and you start paying the 200 a month. And you say, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, the 200 a month is not going to allow you to have the car. It's just going to allow you to catch uh, taxis four days a week, four days a month. Mm. Well, wait a minute. That's not what I paid for. I paid for, I've been paying my whole life for uh, a social security benefit. I've been paying my whole life for a retirement benefit. You can't change the terms of that contract. Well, yes, we can, because, because we're truce breakers. We're covenant breakers, we're liars, we're cheaters, we're thieves. Everything that's laid out in Second Timothy, we are. And so that's what the situation is. So, you know, when you talk about that, you know, I'll give you an example of how bad it is. And then I want to move off this point. But, mm -hmm. you know, in Ukraine, there is a mercenary group. Uh, it's called a Wagner PMC. It's a private military company. And they're fighting on behalf of Russia, and they're just absolutely, you know, ruthless. I mean, they have been inflicting death to the Ukrainian army in the ratio of about 20 to 1. And for every guy that's dying at Wagner, there's 20 Ukrainians dying. And the head of uh, Wagner PMC put an ad out last week in the United States saying, anybody who wants to join Wagner PMC, come on over and join. We're looking for American recruits. He came to Vladimir Putin yesterday and said, we had to shut it down because we had 10 million applicants. And we're only going to take a million. They had 10 million Americans looking to join up with Wagner PMC to fight Ukrainians. What's wow. that tell you? It that should tell you. Wow. Yeah. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing that um, the, the wickedness is not going to survive. Wickedness has its own death penalty. It will die the death because it's inordinate to the righteousness of Yah. And so it perishes. And what comes along behind it, you know, there's all this discuss about the Asbury, Connecticut revival that's going on. And this is a um, revival thing that's happening inside of college students, happened at a college, at a college chapel. And now people are traveling thousands of miles to be a part of it. It's been going on 24-7 for two weeks now. And so what we see is, we see, and we're seeing it, I'm seeing sparks of this, like even in our own fellowship, we're seeing that through forgiveness, through the doctrine of forgiveness, uh, people are coming out of, of the traps they've been in and the spiritual traps they've been in and by forgiving others and seeking forgiveness for themselves, they are being unleashed. They are being 
the, the, the captives are being set free. And as the captives are being set free, this wickedness that is the United States, which is just has become horrific in its wickedness, it is now beginning to crumble. I mean, that whole uh, that whole Tower of Babel is just falling right, you know, at, at its very foundation. And so this is why, you know, when we look at this now, we look at the Torah in this respect, we can see that even though these areas right here in Moshe's Torah are really the foundations of common law in the Western world. I mean, they really are. These are the foundation aspects to it. And well, let's get into it. Let's get into Leviticus 23 or Exodus 23. I want to talk about this passage in particular. Okay, so you shall not raise a false. Well, let me go back to sharing the screen and we can see it here. So you shall not raise a false report, put not your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Don't be lying on the stand. You shall not follow a multitude to do evil. Neither shall you speak in a cause to decline after many to pervert judgment. Look, this is what we're told point blank right now. You will repeat the lie. You will not report the truth. You will repeat the lie. Now, just like Fox News came out and repented for saying that the election in, in 2016 was rigged. They repented from that. Oh, we were just reporting that. We weren't really saying that. Neither shall you countenance a poor man in his cause. If you meet your enemy's ox or his ass going astray, you shall bring it back to him again. If you see the ass of him that hates you lying under his burden and would forbear to help him, you shall surely help him. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his cause. Keep far from a false matter. And the innocent and the righteous do not slay, for I will not justify the wicked. Keep far from a false matter. Now, there are so many false matters going on right now. You would, you just would not believe. I mean, it, this stuff is so phony, so fake. And it goes all the way back to the assassination of JFK. We were told that was a lone gunman. It's absolutely false. And the Don't truth is, we're, we're, go ahead. With with this string of things, I can't get Nord Stream 2 off of my mind. Um, could you address that in this context? Well, Nord Stream 2, yeah, you had this, you know, uh, Seymour Hirsch has published a report that's, he's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who has the highest credibility of any journalist in the world. And he published a report demonstrating that Joe Biden is the one that ordered the destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline and that they used Navy divers out of Panama to do it. And they coordinated with the Norwegian government to set C4 explosives on the pipe. And then the Norwegian government put a buoy over the top of the pipe, sent a radio signal down to it a month later and blew them up. And Liz Truss reported the success of the venture to Joe Biden on a cell phone call within a minute and a half of it going off. So they know who blew up the pipeline. And blowing up the pipeline was the equivalent of the Japanese bombing Pearl Harbor. I mean, it's a major act of war. And it's an act of war not only against Russia, but also against Germany 
and against those who were relying on that pipeline for, and there were four pipes here that were damaged. They were relying on that pipeline to deliver natural gas to Central Europe. And this, this uh, termination of natural gas to Central Europe, cheap Russian gas to, to uh, Central Europe, has put Europe into a major recession. And you know, in Britain, prices are 500% higher than they were before that happened. In Germany, they're 400% higher than what they were before that happened. And so uh, fortunately, Yah has blessed Central Europe with a relatively warm winter this year. But it's an act of war. And because it's an act of war, and it's now been established who did it, that the Russians are going to be making an announcement on Tuesday um, talking about this as an act of war. Now, I suspect, I don't know this because there's a lot of hype out there, uh, but I suspect that what you're going to see is that uh, the Russians are going to demand that there be uh, some kind of justice, some kind of accountability for what happened. Now, again, you know, under the Torah, you've seen it very clearly that there have, there's been an act of violence taken against another nation's interests in violation of international law. The Torah says, well, that's going to call for compensation, especially since you did it intentionally. There were no deaths that happened. But the Torah would say, you need to pay the expenses for what you took down. That is to say, you have to rebuild the pipeline and you have to pay for all of the other damages that took place. In other words, how about you pay for all of the economic losses that have been suffered by the industries in Germany and in the Netherlands and in Denmark and in Austria and in the Czech Republic? How about you pay for all those damages? And, you know, um, what's the language they use? Um, reparations, reparations, you can pay the reparation damages and you can pay for the cost to rebuild the pipeline. Pay for all those losses. That's what the Torah says. And of course, that's never going to happen because the arrogance of the American administration is, well, if you don't like what we did, then why don't you try to nuke us and we'll nuke you first. And that's essentially where we are. So it's a very delicate situation. Okay, so with this, I want to, uh, Alicia, can you see the screen here, sister? Yes, I can. Okay, can, can you take over the Torah portion for a few minutes? Okay, what, and what chapter did you, or verse did you leave off? Let's take it from verse eight. Okay. And you shall take no gift, for the gift binds the wise and perverts the words of righteousness. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger, for ye know the heart of a stranger, seeing ye were strangers in the land of Mitzrayim. And six years you shall sow your land and shall gather in the fruits thereof. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie still, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they 
and what they leave the beast of the field shall eat. In like manner, you shall deal with your vineyard and with your olive yard. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest. That your ox, your ass, and your ass may rest, and the son of your handmaid and the stranger may be refreshed. And in all things that I have said unto you, be guarded, and make no mention of the name of other Elohim neither let it be heard out of your mouth. So to me, this reiterates the Ten Commandments. Um, and to not mention the name of other Elohim, how many times have we done that? I mean, we... That, now, this is a big deal. This is a huge deal, Alicia, because when you talk about not allowing the mention of other him, Elohim come out of your mouth, we're going to see as we finish up this chapter that the curses that come upon all of Yasharel and the lack of blessing comes because you have asserted other Elohim before Yah. That's what's happened. Yeah. You yeah, asserted other right Elohim now. before Yah. What's that? You're seeing that today with, with what's going on today. You're seeing... Um, a lot of the curses being put on put on us uh, for the people that have um, sought out or made other things, Elohim. I'd also yeah. say from verse eight about taking gifts. That's all our government officials do. It's it's a payoff system. So that definitely perverts the righteousness. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, you might. It does. Yeah. And it's, you know, and for instance, you know, I, I'm becoming convinced that what we're seeing now, you know, it's known that BlackRock and Vanguard are the two largest corporations in the world. In fact, my understanding is that BlackRock controls the single largest GDP in the world. It's even bigger than the U.S., bigger than China. And it is controlled by an AI called Aladdin. They have a suit and they've had the supercomputer in place since the mid eighties. And it makes all of their buying decisions, their buying and selling decisions on wall street. It's all made by the computer. Well, the computer a few years back. Dr. Pigeon. Yes. Dr. Pigeon. Hi, this is Cindy. I have never talked before. How are you? Hey, I'm all uh, right. It, uh, hey, uh, they just announced BlackRock filed bankruptcy this week. That's good. Who said that? Where? It was announced. Uh, so I do. I sell real estate, so I get a lot of a lot of information. And one of the uh, asset managers were just announced a bank that were was saying that they had just filed bankruptcy and it's getting ready to be announced. It's, if well, it, it's already been announced. Yes. It's already been announced. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. I just want to make this point about Aladdin. Aladdin is a computer. And so Aladdin looks at it and says, they asked the question, how do we maximize profits in the pharmaceutical industry? Answer, a worldwide pandemic. 
End of story. Okay, let's do, let's do what's necessary to bring this about. How do we maximize profits for the military industrial complex? Answer, war with Russia. That's where you're going you're gonna to get the biggest bang for the buck. So they just, Aren't they using Aladdin also for the stock market? That's how they're determining what's failing? Yes, it's all yes. to Aladdin. Yeah. And so that, that's why this becomes something really important. Because when we talk about you shall take no gift, for the gift blinds the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. Well, the kind of kickback scheme that's going on through Ukraine is just unbelievable. I mean, we've documented this. Scott Bennett and I have documented this many, many times on various shows, various programs. And we can only say so much, but I mean, the Hunter Biden laptop story, which now Hunter Biden admits were his because he's suing people because they're using information <laughs> off his laptop. The, um, the, the kind of corruption that was going on we know, for instance, with uh, Sam Bankman-Fried over at FTX, which was a uh, Bitcoin cryptocurrency uh, broker, they were moving a lot of the money that was going into Ukraine, supposedly to pay for weapons, was being invested in Bitcoin. And then that Bitcoin was being given to politicians to pay for their re-election campaign. And so the, the bribery is just absolutely unbelievable. It's, you know, and now it's to the point where everybody has an expectation that there's going to, there's, I don't, I don't know if there's a clean politician left. So we've, we've, all the words of the righteous have been perverted because the gifts have blind, complete, completely blinded the wise. And so people, you know, when you ask yourself the question, can't they see what's going on? The answer is no, they can't see what's going on. Why not? Because they've taken bribes and the bribes have made them blind. Then we see what coming down here through this next passage, you can see that what the Shemitah year is proclaimed here. The Shemitah year. This is it in verse nine. This is the Shemitah year, right? It's not just talking about the Sabbath day, the seventh day, but it's talking about the seventh day year in the seventh year you shall let it rest this is the shemitah year shemitah year but the poor of your people may eat and what they leave the beasts of the field shall eat and the same thing you shall do with your vineyard and with your olive yard seventh day you shall rest and your ox and your ass may rest and the son of your hands may be refreshed okay so Make no mention of the name of other Elohim. Now, we know when we talk about this, make no mention of the name of other Elohim. Okay, for all of you in the Christian background, Easter, Easter, that's the name Ishtar, in case you're wondering. This is why Yah is merciful and patient with us. Quick cool question, Dr. P. Because you asked this earlier about uh, 22, verse 28. You shall not revile the Elohim, nor curse the ruler of your people. Right. I was curious how you think that relates maybe to this passage. 
Well, when you're talking about it, yeah, see, that's the real question because when you deal with LOE, now this is a big question, Matthew, because um, there's been a couple, I saw a recent video here this last weekend that a, a number of researchers are looking at this word Elohim and they're going, what is this word Elohim? What is this all about? Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to take down, I'm going to take down the, the portion here and go up to, to a whiteboard for just a minute. Hey, Doc, while you're doing that, um, you know, it, it's, I guess it's no coincidence that when we're going through school that we're not taught any, anything from the Bible, we're, we're taught Roman mythology. And it was talking about, um, I don't know if that has to do with the, um, the talking about don't have any other Elohim in your mouth. So the, here we are learning about, you know, Zeus and all the Roman mythology. I don't know if that's, is that the same yeah. thing? Well, yeah. I mean, although that's assuming those are gods, but right. But when you talk about when you talk about Elohim, so here's the word here, okay? But when you look at when we're talking about other gods, right? So what is one of those other gods? Amen. Zeus, right? Moloch. And what did what did Constantine? want for the name of the Mashiach. Esau. Made, made, well, they made this politically correct into but if you look in your King James Bible you will find the name in the New Testament referring to Elijah as in your King James, Elizeus. That's because Constantine wanted to marry the religion of Zeus into Christianity. And that's why they came on this name. Okay. But now let's get back to Elohim and let's talk about this because we're going to get into a very interesting question. So we see in the Hebrew, you see something. Uh, hold on. In the Hebrew, you're going to see something uh, very clearly. Right here, this is the masculine plural. Now, sometimes you have words that have the masculine plural that, like, aren't plural. Like, I'll give you an example. If you have, you take the word mayim. Now, this is the word for water but you can see that here's the masculine plural well does that mean that water is plural well i suppose so i mean if you were you're going to say h2o's then i guess it's kind of plural but sometimes the plural does not mean plural now what these guys are saying is, is that 
there has always been a bias, if you will, a bend to say Elohim is Yachad, Yachad, or uh, excuse me, Echad, just one, alone. There's That this means Elohim alone. Although Christians are willing to say that this means Elohim means God in three persons, right? God in three persons. But but first of all, in this spelling, do you see an O in here? There's no O in here. So what you see is you see our friends, the Masorites, come in and say, well, let's put a holem right here, and we'll make this Elohim. Well, the true pronunciation is when you talk about this, the true pronunciation is actually going to be El, El, Ayim. El Ayim, El Ayim would be the would be the best pronunciation for this word, the non-Masoretic pronunciation. In the okay. English? In the English, yeah. El Ayim. El no, what, is it, what does it mean in the English? Well, that's a good question. Now, let's take a look. Because when you talk about this, you have this idea here that this is the a root, which means L, you know, L, like El Shaddai, okay? Now, when you look at this from what it's, uh, what it real connotation is, this is the authority of the Godhead, for lack of a better word. And this is the shepherd staff. So more or less, L is uh, the, the Yah of the earth. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, the, now what about the Hayim part? Well, the Hayim part, from my, from my view, the He is indicative of the Ruach. And hmm. there are many people in the Hebrew world that agree with this, with this understanding, that the He uh, is an indi indication of the breath of Yah. And the breath of Yah, then, is set out in Isaiah 11.2 as the Ruach Yahweh, the Ruach Hokma, the Ruach Bina, the Ruach Edza, the Ruach Da'at, the Ruach Gevara, and the Ruach Yira. The seven spirits. So the Ruach Kot are seven. But again, these are not persons. This is the seven breaths of Yah, breathings of Yah. And so this would constitute the plural. However, that is not what we see in, that's not what we see in the definition of Elaim or what we see in its application. For instance, we're seeing right now an application. The whiteboard went away. I'm sorry. Say that again. The whiteboard went away. Yeah, no, I took it down. Okay. So, excuse me. So when we talk about this, when we talk about the Elaim, Elaim, we're talking about, uh, in many instances, we're talking about other gods. You shall not have any other Elohim before me. Well, what are you talking about? Well, 
other Elohim. And in this case, we're talking about the Elohim that Matthew brought up that's here in the Torah. You shall honor their Elohim. What is this? What are you talking about? Well, in this respect, and then we are called sons of Elohim, right? We're called sons of Elohim. Mashiach points this out. You say that I am a blasphemer because I say I'm a son of Elohim, and yet you're all called sons of Elohim by David in the Psalms. So what does this mean? Well, I mean, it's a big question, particularly when you're looking at the totality of the Torah. Because it appears to be that there were uh, creative forces. I mean, look, when you get in Genesis and it says, let us make man in our image. What? Let us, and then Elohim said, let us make man in our image. And I can tell you, as much as I've tried to get around that passage, I can't. It's plural. So what do you think about that? I've got your answer, Dr. P. I okay, think uh, I'll tell you after we're done with the Torah portion. <laughs> okay. What makes you think we're going to get finished with the Torah portion? I, I know. <laughs> I was thinking that as well. <laughs> okay. Let me see if I can get through it. Because we're just about done with, with Exodus 23. Okay, three times you shall keep a feast to me under the year. You shall guard the feast of matzah. You shall eat matzah seven days as I commanded you in the time appointed in the month of Adiv. For in it you came out of Mitzrayim, and none shall appear before me empty. And the feast of Katsir, the first fruits of your labor, which you have sown in the field, and the feast of Asif, which is at the end of the year when you have gathered in your labors out of the field. So first fruits and then the final harvest. Three times in the year, all your males shall appear before Adonai Yahweh. No chamet shall be upon my offering of blood. No fat of my feast shall remain until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land, you shall bring to the house of Yahweh Eloheka, and you shall not see the kid in his mother's milk, which means there's no eating any cheese ever. Uh, wait a minute. That ain't right. But you know, if you go into, you go into uh, Israel, you can't get cheese on a cheeseburger because that's seeding a kid in its mother's milk. Well, that's assuming that the burger is made out of lamb, right? I mean, I don't know. You talk about an extreme view. But anyway, all right, let's continue. Now, these three feasts, I wanted to show this to you. Again, we have this idea of three feasts. What do we have? Well, we have the spring. And then we have Shavuot. Barley, wheat, and grape. And then we have fall. Yeah, there you go. Barley, wheat, and grape. Sure, that's a great way to put it. Barley, wheat, and grape. And so here, there's actually three, right? You have, you have Pesach, you have Matzah, and then you have the wave offering, right? The counting of the Omer. Then here you have Shavuot, which is the Shamash of the menorah. And then you have Yom Teruah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. So technically, this constitutes what? 
there's a menorah here, right? But it breaks down into a group of three, but there's actually seven feasts, even though it breaks down into a group of three, okay? And we can see the same thing when it comes to heavens. Paul talks about three heavens, but it probably has the same setup as does this menorah that we just saw. The first heaven has got three heavens in it. Second heaven has got one heaven. And the third heaven has got three heavens in it. Okay. Behold, I send you an angel before you to guard you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Okay, who's the angel, do you think? Now, this was the passage we were looking at last night. And I'll tell you. Well, take a look. We're going we're gonna to see. We're going to get something very clear here. Watch. So it says, I send an angel before you to guard you in the way to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions. For my name is in him. Now, this was the passage that was left out of the New Living Translation entirely. They left this out. For my name is in him. Okay, we know why they would leave that out, because they don't want to talk about what the name is at all. They want to use Lord, Lord, Lord. But we know, but, but you shall indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, and then I will be an enemy unto your enemies and an adversary unto your adversaries. For my angels shall go before you to bring you into the Emerim and the Chittim and the Perizim and the Kenaim and the Kivim and the Yebusim, and I will cut them off. So who are we talking about? We're talking about someone who's going to lead all of Yasharel into the Holy Land to confront these tribes. That's who we're talking about. Okay. Well, what was who was that? Yahusha. 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 That's exactly right. So when we see that, here is the first time we're going to see Yahusha. Now, this is going to be why. How do we know this? For my name is in him. Right? Now, we're also going to see that this angel, this is also a forecasting of the coming Yahusha. Because who is capable of pardoning your transgression? Who is capable of pardoning the transgression? It's Yahusha. You shall not bow down to their Elohim, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break down their images. You shall not bow down to their Elohim. Baali, Ishtar, Nimrod, Dagon, Isis, Horus, Seth, Mithras, Diana, Artemis, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You're not supposed to, Ashtaroth, you're not supposed to put up the poles, you're not supposed to put up the high altars, and you're not supposed to revere them. Uh, oh, well, we don't do that. Oh, really? You don't do that. Then what's with uh, the Feast of Easter? What's with the Nimrod feast and putting up the Nimrod tree in your house? 
Saturnalia. Yeah, you ever notice that the tree has to be cut down? You can't put a live tree in there and decorate it. That offends the rules. It has to be a cut down tree. It has to be a severed tree. Right? You shall not bow down to their Elohim nor serve them. Okay. And you shall serve Yahweh Elohim and he shall bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Well, what happens if you do bow down in front of their Elohim and serve them? Well, then you're going to have a problem with your bread, you're going to have a problem with your water, and you're probably going to get sick. There shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in your land. You see, to Yah, having children is a blessing. Not a curse, a blessing, not a curse. I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was it, this, what you're just talking about right now. I was just thinking about this the revival that's been going on, and I'm just wondering, yeah. you know, all these um, Christians are all meeting up at this place and praying and everything else. And I'm like, these people are probably still honoring Christmas feast and everything else. It, it, would Yah even be in their presence? Uh, yeah. Yah would be in their presence because when, when you know, uh, Randall, I don't know about you, but Yah found me in a ditch. Okay. He found me in the abyss, in a pit, covered with filth. That's where he found me. And uh, so, you know, the fact that they're seeking him, they're going to find him. If they seek him with all their heart, they will find him. And then let the stuff fall away. It will fall away. But first, let them find him. And we will see. I mean, look, when you have an open genocide that's being perpetrated against white people in the country now, which is what's going on in open genocide. The solution to open genocide is what? Have kids. <laughs> I mean, that's the solution. You know, be fruitful and multiply. And, and here you can see that nothing is going to cast away their young. They're not going to be barren. The number of your days in your land I will fill. I will send my fear before you, and I will destroy all the people to whom you shall come, and I will make all of your enemies turn their backs unto you. I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Kivi, the Kenani, the Hitti from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against you. But little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you be increased and inherit the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea, even unto the Sea of the Palestine, and from the desert unto the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall dwell that drive them out before you. You shall cut no covenant with them, nor with their Elohim. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their Elohim, it shall surely be a snare unto you. Okay. Once again, you see over and over again, 
no idolatry, no other Elohim. And yet we serve other Elohim every day. When Yah says, Anki Yahweh Elohim, I am Yahweh your Elohim. And your response to that is, well, let's take a vote on that. And see if that's offensive speech or not. Who's your Elohim? I'll tell you who your Elohim is. It is the Elohim of the six-colored rainbow flag. And the six-colored rainbow flag has a god. And you know what his name is? Shem. Hashem. Hashem Dai. That is the god of that six-colored rainbow flag. You know, Hashem Dai. And in English, what does it mean? Well, in, in Tobit, in the book of Tobit, he's given the Greek name Asmodeus. Asmodeus. Um, From the Hasmonean Empire? Yeah, well, the Hasmonean Empire was an empire that was serving that god. Mm. And so what you see is, is that you see this god. Now, they, they're trying to disguise the name now. Oh, it's not, uh, it's not Hashem, it's uh, Ashami or Ashami, something like this. Trying to disguise the fact that the name is Ashem, Ashem Dai. And the die means demon, and the Ashem means wrath, the demon of wrath, Ashem die. And so what you see with the Hasmoneans, now look, the Hasmoneans were not Hasmonean. They were Maccabean, the tribe was a Maccabean tribe, and most likely the descendants of Nahor, the brother of Abraham. And although, although many of the Maccabeans might have been children of uh, uh, Keturah, Abraham's wife, Keturah, not Sarah, but Keturah, because they tell Mashiach that that's the case. And they, and then it was under the Maccabees that these two high elders, Hillel and Samai, came to conclude that you can no longer say the name Yahweh, even though Moshe published it, even though Zechariah said declare it, even though all the minor prophets said make mention of it and swear by it, even though Mashiach said, I have declared it unto you and will declare it unto you, even though David declared it among the assembly in Psalm 22, 22, all of a sudden you get this teaching, oh no, you can no longer say the name. You have to replace it. And you have to replace it with the Hebrew term, meaning the name, Hashem. Not telling you, just like as we have in the United States, one nation under God. Under which God? Which God are you talking about? Well, the G-O-D, the G.O.D. stands for Government Ordinance Department on the dollar bill. There you go. <laughs> so you can see that it, you're not, because they refuse to mention the name, now you've got this ambiguity. Well, oh, well you can only say the name. Well, they're not saying the name because the, the, the territory from which the tribe came was called Hyrcania, which is now known as Armenia. But in those days, it was called Hyrcania. That's why the son of Simon was called John Hyrcanus, 
because he was from Hyrcania. And so they were Maccabean of the tribe of Nacor, and they were from the land of Hyrcania or Armenia. And that's why the last of the Maccabean, the Hasmonean kings, Aristobulus IV, what he and his wife would become the first king and queen of Armenia. And that's why there's an Armenian quarter in Jerusalem, because they mm. still assert political control over Jerusalem. And so, so when you talk about Hyrcanus and this whole Maccabean period of con forcefully converting the Edomites into Judaism at the point of the sword, forced circumcision under John Hyrcanus, forced circumcision of Edomites under John Hyrcanus, and they became this house of the Talmud. And the house of the Talmud does not worship Yahweh, they worship Ha-Hashem. What year? About 160, about 160, between 150 and 160 BC is when it began. Mm -hmm. And so with, with this being done, okay, so now for me, I mean, look, for me, this, you know, I know that probably someday somebody from the IDF is going to come over and say, we, we want to have a talk with you out in the back with the club. But I can tell you that this idea of using the name Ha-Hashem is absolutely bring and, and you know and Hashem die when you read about it when you read about Hashem die you will see that he is known as the god of lust the god of lust now when we talk about the god of lust we're talking about in in Tobit you see that this woman is set to marry a, a man and uh, uh, Asmodeus Hashem die kills her first husband. So she goes to marry the brother, he kills him. Goes to marry the brother, he kills him. So this Hashem Dai kills the seven brothers that she's supposed to be married. This is where this whole parable comes in the Gospels where they come to say, well, a woman is supposed to marry this guy and he dies. And then the brother. Oh. That's where that comes from. That comes right out of Tobit. Wow. And so when you read it in Tobit, you find out that it was Hashem Dai that is the one that killed these seven, uh, these seven brothers. And he is known as the God of lust. Well, when you read in 2 Baruch, you see that Manasseh put up, uh, let me see if I can find this for you real quick, because in 2 Baruch, uh, well, let me get there in a second. Was this guy a, a human or was he a fallen angel? Uh, well, I don't know if, I, I don't know, he was not a human. He's not a human. Um. But here, in 2nd Baruch, right now, listen to this. Let me see if I can find it here. Dr. P, you did a video a long time ago, I think with Jessica Arianas, and I think at the time you said that it was Shimi Atza. Atza uh, was the same. You know what I'm saying? Oh, is that right? Yeah, Shimi Atza. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. very, well, very well, maybe. Because, it's so here's... Isn't it? It's what? Well, it... it my name is, is Shemi Atza is, my name is Atza with Azazel. Yeah, my name is Atza. Yeah, Azazel. So here in Second Baruch, chapter 64, it yeah. says, Black Ninth Waters, which you have seen, this is all the wickedness which was in the days of Manasseh, the son of Yahu. For he wrought much impiety. He slew the righteous and he perverted judgment. Now, when he says he slew the righteous, he killed Isaiah, and he had Isaiah sawed in half with a wooden saw, and they did it 
by hanging Isaiah from his feet and sawing between his legs with this wooden saw to kill him. That's this, horrible. This is what Manasseh did, okay? He wrought much impiety. He slew the righteous and perverted judgment, and he shed the blood of the innocent and wedded women he violently polluted. He was raping wedded women. And he overturned the altars and destroyed their offerings and drove forth the priests, lest they should minister in the sanctuary. Now, here it is. And he made an image with five faces. Four of them looked to the four winds and the fifth on the summit of the image as an adversary, as a Satan. Right? The term adversary, that's another word for Satan, as a Satan mm -hmm. of the zeal of El Elohim. Okay? So he put up a five-headed Satan right in Jerusalem. And then wrath went forth from the presence of El, El Elohim to the intent that Zion should be rooted out as also it befell in your days. And who was that that did that? This, this was Manasseh. He was the most wicked Manasseh. king. Manasseh, got it. He was the most wicked king in the history of Judea. And his mm. wickedness, his wickedness, he ruled for 55 years. And his wickedness was so bad that Yah decided, that's it. Judgment is now going to come on the kingdom of Yahud. The northern kingdom has already been judged. The Assyrians have already taken it down. They're already dispersed. Now, because of Manasseh, I am going to forsake these people. I'm going to forsake this place. I'm going to leave this temple. And this is going to be the end of it. And never will a son of David sit on the throne of Judea again. Never again. Will the son of David sit on the throne of Judea in the land, in the Holy Land? Now, this has been the case since this happened. And so Manasseh, Yah was going to judge the tribe right then and there, but he waited. And Manasseh had a son who well, he only ruled for, I think, three years. And then Josiah, the grandson, took over. And when Josiah took over, Josiah was righteous. Josiah found the Torah scroll. Josiah right. went out and said, that's it. Tear down these altars. Get rid of that five-headed God. Burn these Ashtaroth poles. Knock this stuff down. We're going back to being a Torah-observant community. And he did it. And so Yah speaks to Josiah, and he says, you know, Josiah, I was going to completely destroy this place, but for your sake, I'm not going to do it in your lifetime. But your son is going to return to the ways of Manasseh and then I'm going to destroy the place. And sure enough, his son, Yekonyahu, Jeconiah, he came right back and went right back into the pitfalls of Manasseh. He didn't do as much wickedness, but he was going right down that path. And when he did, Yah brought Nebuchadnezzar in, and Nebuchadnezzar took uh, Yekonyahu and took him captive back to Babylon, along with the rod of Aaron. And when he did... Nebuchadnezzar then established his brothers as kings, Joachim, Joachim, and then Zedekiah, all of whom were also wicked, all of whom would not listen to the voice of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is telling them, look, capitulate to Babylon, make peace, make a deal, make a truce, capitulate to Babylon, and things will go well for us. Uh, well, thanks for your opinion, Jeremiah. Guards, take this guy and throw him into a septic tank. So they throw him into a pit. Baruch comes to visit him, and Jeremiah is telling Baruch, Baruch, write this down. So Baruch writes it down. He says, go back and tell Zedekiah. 
You need to capitulate to Babylon and then things will be okay. So he goes back to Zedekiah with the scroll from Jeremiah and it says, here, this is what Jeremiah has to say. Zedekiah opens it and reads it. And he goes, yeah, yeah, thanks. And he throws the scroll right in the fire. Mm. Well, Zedekiah did not appreciate that already the curses of Deuteronomy 28 were upon them. All of the curses of Deuteronomy 28 were there. They were all there. But he was so blind in his bribe-taking and in his power, everything else he was doing and his schemes and plans, that he didn't see it until a woman walks up to him and says, King, you need to help us. Me and another woman agreed that we would kill my son and eat him. And then when he was gone, we'd kill her son and eat him. Well, we killed my son and ate him, and now she's taken off with her son. Only then, only then did Zedekiah recognize, oh, all of the curses of Deuteronomy 28 are upon us. Now, let me just share with you exactly what I'm talking about, okay? Got it. Let's, I'm going to go, I'm going to just, I'm going to go to Deuteronomy 28, and I want to read this to you so you can hear it. Exactly what he finally figured out. It took him a long time to figure it out. But, okay, let's see. Okay. Right here, Deuteronomy 28, 56. The tender and delicate woman among you, which would not adventure to set the sole of her foot upon the ground for delicateness and tenderness, her eye shall be evil toward the man of her bosom and toward her son and toward her daughter and toward her young one that comes out from between her feet and toward her children, which she shall bear. For she shall eat them for want of all things secretly in the siege and straightness wherewith your enemy shall distress you in your gates. If you will not guard to do all the words of, of this Torah that are written in this sefer, that you may fear the glorious and fearful name of Et Yahweh Eloheka, then Yahweh will make your plagues wonderful and the plagues of your seed even great plagues and of long continuance and sore sicknesses and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon you all of the diseases of the Mitzrayim, which were, you were afraid of, and they shall cleave unto you. And every sickness and every plague, which is not written in the Sefer of this Torah, then will Yahweh bring upon you until you are destroyed. Now, I don't know what part of that Zedekiah didn't understand, but he, when, when the woman told him that she was eating her own child, he realized that that was the last curse specifically named in that passage, and it was upon them. Then he decides, oh, well, I guess I need to flee. So him and his seven sons drop down into Hezekiah's tunnel and head out for Jericho. Well, Nebuchadnezzar caught him, killed his seven sons in front of him, and then poked his eyes out and took him back to Babylon. So the point being is that this curse of Hashem Dai came on to the, the land of Judea during the time of Manasseh and hasn't left. Hasn't left. And so when you ask yourself the question, how is it that rabbis of the Orthodox persuasion in Judaism can be living in Jerusalem and tolerate uh, some 
uh, BDSM gay rights parade going right down the street of the prophets in Jerusalem. How do they how do they tolerate that? How do they do that? I got an answer. That that Noah Hyde left wing government that they got now it's uh, it, it is extending that curse. It's uh, it's standing in the place of a government that's governing now as a place that's introducing the Noahide laws, it's not going to allow Noah's name to be announced. It's not going to allow it. Matter of fact, it'll kill you if you do soon. And that is the wickedness that's manifesting in the land called Israel. It is an extremely wicked uh, manifestation that has now come before us, and they allowed this, this horrible right-wing right gay pride march that Came, comes out of Tel Aviv and that right-wing uh, Supreme Court and and then cowered under it so that and cowered under uh, under the uh, the Saudis and and, the, uh, and the, to uh, allow them to uh, make some uh, make their their embassy in Tel Aviv which was opposed to uh, making their embassy in in Jerusalem. But the whole thing that's prophesied coming with this wickedness that's manifesting in the government at this time, at this, this is a particular time, that, that is fulfilling the prophecy of how wicked it's waxing over there. That's, it's, it's setting the stage now. We're seeing the stage set for what Yahuwah has showed us is going to manifest. And the, the, the movie's going on right before us, the, the, it's it's just amazing. They're gonna they're that that no hide law that that whole right wing government's got now that wants to get the access to the Temple Mount is not gonna allow you. It wasn't aimed to be cleared. It'll kill you for it. Okay, thanks for letting me talk. I forget. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there it is, David. I mean, and, and I think that's right. I mean, you know, again, the no hide laws are a big part of it. But when you see, I mean, like for instance, in Australia. I just heard yesterday that in Australia, if the students in high schools and colleges do not wear the LGBT flag colors on their uniforms, they can't participate in sports. There is a bill currently pending in Congress that's going to declare equal protection for the LGBT community. Now, this is not about equal protection because equal protection for the law is equal protection under the law, period. That's what it is. This is about exalting the God of the Zionist movement, which is a God of lust, which is this five-headed God called Hashem Dai. That's what this is about. And lifting the flag of that God over national sovereignty, over the international community. That's what it's about. That's what they're doing. And so people, you know, they don't want to see the forest for the trees. Oh, this is all about my friends having a consensual relationship. No, it isn't. This is about another Elohim coming onto your premises and asserting another Torah. And that Torah being accepted and worshipped and the Torah of Yah being diminished and sidelined. That's what it's about. Okay. 
All right. I'm going to take a break from my ranting and raving for a minute and listen what? to somebody else rant and rave. Okay, Stephen. Yes. Um, if we go back to the origin or the foundation of Moshe and his experience with the burning bush, um, we all, you know, come to where this is, you know, he's got to go to the Pharaoh and he has to have a name uh, that gives him authority uh, to do to do his mandate. And so so is it possible that it wasn't a language that we know, like an utterance as opposed to a name? Yeah, boy, that, you know, I've, I can't tell you, I don't know. Um, well, we did, right. we did talk about how um, they knew him as El Shaddai. And then Yah said, you know, to Moshe, you know, I'm not sure I understood his question, no, but I know, I know what you're saying that by my name, Yahweh, I was not known. Although I don't think that that's what the passage actually says. I think it says, I was known to them as El Shaddai and Yahweh, but I was not known. And well, there's the utterance, the utterance would be something like this. Instead of, as we know, the languages, the only ones that we know so far, um, it would be more like, tell them that E, A, U, A sent you. Yeah, but I, I don't know why the head would be an A in the second instance and it's an A in the first instance. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's your, that's your deal, okay. I'm just giving an example of an utterance as opposed to a name. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is it is something, but, and you know, it, it is something in that respect, yeah. But all I can tell you is, is that- I mean, I don't care if it's an A or an E on the end. I mean, I, I, to argue or- have controversy doesn't help any me doesn't help anyone i know that's why everybody needs to agree with me that i'm correct <laughs> oh my gosh okay boss i'm glad we've reached that conclusion okay good yeah. well I'm, I'm not in 100 agreement yet but i'm working on it <laughs> okay all right so he was you know he was the longest beard is right yeah <laughs> yeah right wait right. what was that yeah. Well, anyway, but going back to this, I'm going to come back to this because this who has is the longest beard is right. No, I didn't say that. Oh, I thought the other gentleman said that. Somebody yeah, else said I'm, that. Yeah. I was joking. I said he has the longest beard is right. Yeah, yeah. That's that's well, my got much longer than his. I could tell you it's arbitrary and capricious. It's called the fallacy. <laughs> it's called the fallacy of the beard, which, as you know, is a logical fallacy, very well articulated. So we won't go into that now. Yeah. But I want to come back to I want to come back to the Torah portion here because again we see that the Torah portion is really dependent upon this idea of if you keep me as your single Yahweh Elohekim, then I will bless your bread, I will bless your brought your 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 uh, water, and I will bless you generally speaking. But if you don't, sickness will come upon you, the plagues will come upon you, all these curses will come upon you. And the question we have for us today in our community, in this Torah portion study for us today is, do we have other Elohim before us? 
That's the question in our own heart that we have to ask. Do we have other Elohim before us? And if we do, we shouldn't even be mentioning their names, and we should be clear of them. We should be clear of those other Elohim. And you might not want to recognize them, but they're there. Whether you're talking about Ishtar forming his Easter, whether you're talking about Nimrod forming his Christmas, whether you're talking about Dagon, the fish god, who's represented by his high priest, the Pope, who's, I mean, what do you think the Pope's, you know, you know that hat that the Pope wears? I could never figure that hat out. I'm looking at that hat going, why is he wearing that hat? Where'd that hat come? Who designed that hat? You know, where'd that come from? Guess what? It's a fish head. It is a fish head because he's wearing the hat of the high priest of Dagon. He's also the high priest of Zeus. You know, who do you think Jupiter is? You know, they try to claim as St. Peter out there out in front of the Vatican. It's Zeus. And you shall not have any engraved images. How many engraved statues do they have on top of the Vatican? How many engraved images do they have therein? Right? It's nothing but engraved images. And, you know, so here we see, you know, when you're talking about no other Elohim, but it becomes more difficult than that. Because if Elohim is your judge, Elohim is your lawgiver, and Elohim is your king, Yah is your judge, he's your lawmaker, he's your king. If that's the case, who's making your laws? And when someone comes up and says, we've come up with a new law that says the Bible is offensive. Well, that is a clear indication that you have a different Elohim governing your social order. Now, what Elohim is it? that finds the Bible offensive. Guess who? Hashem Dai. And on what grounds does he find it offensive? It insults and offends the codices of lust. We have the codices of lust. Well, what are the codices of lust? Well, there's 18 sexual orientations. And thou shalt define thyself by thy sexual orientation. You shall not define yourself by your confession of faith. You shall not define yourself by your intellectual capability. You shall not define yourself by what you do. No, instead, you're going to define yourself predicated upon your particular species of lust. This can be identified somewhere within a six-colored flag. So by maintaining the six-colored flag and the five-headed God, and by using the name Hashem Dai, you're right in the pocket. And anything that offends that theology is offensive speech. So now you know, now you know that when you see this rhetoric coming out of your politician, you th- I want you to think about this for a second. The school system right now is putting so much pressure on children to become transgendered, that the the children are now saying, oh, we're we're not transgendered, we're furries. What's What's your pronoun and who do you identify as? I identify as a cat. I identify as a dog. I identify as somebody who's not present in your system because you're not gonna convert, you're not gonna talk this girl into cutting off her breast or this boy into cutting off his penis because this is your agenda. And the teachers have no idea how much pressure they're putting on those kids in their inclusiveness because they don't know the God they're worshiping. 
they don't know the Elohim they're worshiping. They don't know. Because he's been very secretive and very deceptive. But now we've unearthed him. Hashem Dai. Hashem Dai, the God of lust, whose flag is a six-colored rainbow. You want to put that up? Put it up. All right. I'm done ranting and raving. Lynn, start speaking before I go nuts. I just wanted to give a testimony of what Yahweh did for me. Fantastic. Two days, ago, to hear from two days ago, my ankle started hurting, and I got so bad I couldn't walk, and I had to eat a walking stick. And this morning I got up, I didn't have to use a walking stick, and it wasn't hurting, so I just praise Yah for healing it. That's all I had to say. Agreed. Did we lose the connection? No. Oh. I'm, I'm here. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, Lynn, I was just saying, if I'd have known you were going to speak so little, I'd have put you on earlier. Okay. I didn't have much to say. I felt like y'all wanted me to share it, so that's, that's why yeah. I did. Well, hallelujah, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Alicia, you're going to make a new point? I am. And I, I need you to pull up um, eSword real quick. Okay. I'll try to be quick. And I don't know for sure if you've seen these when you were talking on the dig uh, about the first flood. But go to Second Peter chapter three, and then share it so everyone can see. Okay. All right. Let me let me get this popped up. Okay, here's Esword. Okay, Which so chapter you three. At? You're going to read one through six and pay careful attention to verse six. You want to read it? Yeah, sure. This second, this is first Peter or second Peter? Second Peter. Okay, this second chapter, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and by the commandment of us, the apostles of Adonai and the Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of Elohim, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of wicked men. Okay, so to me, there were two 
two worlds, like we were talking about the seven, uh, before the flood of Noah, we, we like Atlantis was, was destroyed somehow by a flood. Yeah. Before Adam. And, and he says in six, whereby the world that then was. Okay. And then the next one, yes, he did Noah's flood, but the next one is fire, which is what we'll, we will see. Okay. So now go to um, Isaiah chapter 14. Fourteen verses nine through. Well, I put twenty-three, but I, I think you'll well, get this. Is really, Sheol what? from beneath is moved for you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the Raphaim for you, even all the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from the thrones all the kings of all the nations, and they shall speak and say unto you, Are you also become as weak as we? Are you become like unto us? Your pomp is brought down to Sheol. And the noise of your vials, the worm is spread unto you and the worms cover you. How are you fallen from heaven, O Hillel, son of the howling morning? How are you cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of El. I will sit also upon the mount of the assembly in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like El Elyon. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the sides of the pit. They that see you shall narrowly look upon you and consider you saying, is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness, destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of the prisoners, all the kings of the nations, even all of them lying glory, everyone in his own house. But you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch. And as the raiment of those that are slain thrust through with a sword that go down to the stones of the pit, as a carcass trodden under feet, you shall not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and have slain your people. And the seed of evildoers shall never be renowned. Prepare slaughter for his children for the iniquity of their fathers. They that do not rise nor possess the land nor fill the face of the world of the cities. I will rise up against them, says Yahweh Sebaot, and cut off from Babel the name, the remnant, and the son, and nephew, says Yahweh. I will also make it a possession for the bittern, pools of water, and I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, says Yahweh Sebaot. Now, before you go into this, I want to say just a couple of things about this. This is clearly a prophecy about Manasseh, because Manasseh according to second Baruch was not buried in a grave, but he was burned on a bronze fire. He was not put into a grave. He will be, will hear his cards when he was trod underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you've destroyed your land and slain your people. The seed of evildoers shall never be renowned. Prepare slaughtered for his children for the iniquity of the fathers. Guess what? Goes down four generations. So Manasseh, Asa, Josiah, Yekonyahu. I will rise up against them, says Yahweh Sebot, and cut off from Babel the name, the remnant, the son, which is Jehoiakim, Ye and nephew, Jehoiakim and Zedekiah. 
This is a specific prophecy about Jeconiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. And I will make it a possession for the bittern pools of water, and I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, which is exactly what happened. Okay, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. so so go to, um, I'll say something to that in a second. Go, go to Ezekiel chapter 28. Okay. And read verses 14 through 17. You are the anointed cherub that covers, and I have set you so. You were upon the holy mountain of Elohim. You have walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was, iniquity was found in you. By the multitude of your merchandise, they have filled the midst of you with violence, and you have sinned. Therefore, I will cast you as profane out of the mountain of Elohim, and I will destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. I will cast you to the ground. I will lay you before kings that they may behold you. Okay. Um, and then the last one is uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void, and the heavens, they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and all the hills moved lightly. I beheld, and lo, there was no man, and all the birds of heaven were fled. I beheld, and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness, and all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of Yahweh and by his fierce anger. All right, so <clears throat> as I was reading these scriptures, um, it, it sounded like to me that during the, 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 uh, the world before Adam was born or created, it, the earth was formless and void, and we have to ask why. And in my opinion, after reading these four scriptures, I felt like Yah was impressing upon me that, that there was another earth, or, you know, our earth, but another, another civilization. And that that is when Hasatan was thrown down to the earth. And when he landed during that time, he's doing, there's nothing new under the sun. The uh, Hasatan destroyed that world and that, uh, you know, with through sin and evil. And even it says in the one Isaiah, the one that I thought was that the kings beheld him. We know there was commerce and there were kings. I mean, uh, uh, the King Atlas with, with, uh, I'm getting a little nervous, but my, my whole thing was, is that I felt like maybe um, Satan was cast down during that time. And then Yah destroyed that with, with water. And. Yeah. Um, well, look right here, because this is an important point in this passage in 423, where it says the earth was formless and void. Okay. So here you see, right. Ha, Haretz, Haretz, the earth. Ve hine, behold, tohu vobohu, exactly the same words that we find in Genesis 1 2. Tohu vobohu, 
Okay? Now, look at these. Tohu. When we look at tohu, it means to lie waste, a desolation. That is to say, a desert. Then you go down here and you see, gee, let's, what are we going to use? Well, let's use without form. Well, actually, a better way to say it is desolation, because that's what its meaning is, desolation. And then what about bohu? Let's look at bohu. Well, bohu is a vacuity, a ruin, not mm -hmm. void. Void is an, is an inference. Let's use void. But rather, it should say desolation and a ruin. Now, what is a ruin? It's something that was built before that has fallen into ruin. Right. So all of Genesis chapter one, I believe Yah is describing that period of time before yeah, I, Adam. I agree with you. I agree with him. I think it was, I personally think it was a 7,000 year epic. I do too. And then I think Kasatan was thrown down into that and through sin and evil, he brought, I mean, I don't know if the dinosaurs were there at that time. It could be, uh, but there's nothing new under the sun. And so when you say that that is um, uh, Manasha and Isaiah, I say, if you read it thinking Isaiah 14, 9, if, if you read this thinking, um, uh, Sheol from beneath is moved for you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the Raphaim. Yeah, now, okay, now let's look at that for just a second. Because again, you see the Raphaim listed only in the Sefer. Okay? Right. Where we actually, and you can see that when you look when you look at when you look at the Strong's, the Strong's is going to tell you, oh, well, the word here is Rafa. But then when you look at the word the way it appears here in the text, you can see it's Rafaim. See, do you see the, the plural right there in the end? The yes, yeah. Rafaim. Okay. So now let's take a look and see what it says. Rafaim, in the sense from 47, 74, 95. And of 7503 properly lacks, that is, a ghost as dead in plural only, the dead and the deceased. But it's more than that. Let me see if I can get this up where we can see it. Okay, here we go. Rafa, primitive root meaning to slacken, to abate, right? And Rafa meaning to mend. So, you're seeing here that what's taking place is you have this Raphaim, which appeared to be the ghost of the dead. And so when he's talking about, uh, let me just make it back into the separate translation here in 1423, correct? Yeah. Yeah. 923. Uh, no, but which verse were you quoting? You were quoting uh, which verse? The Raphaim, where was that? Oh, that oh, is that's... um uh, nine. Nine, yeah, there we go. Yeah. And so here you see 
Sheol beneath is moved for to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the Raphaim, the dead souls for you, even all the chief ones of the earth, right? Mm -hmm. All the chief ones of the earth. It is raised up from their thrones, all the kings of the nations. So here you're talking about, you know, at this point, you're talking about, um, this is not just going back to David, but this is going back to all the kings of all the nations and, and, and him falling there. So, yeah. I think it's a, a very interesting, um, very interesting. Well, in verse 12, when it talks about Hasatan or Oh Hell Yell, or however you say it, the, the howling one, um, to me, that's being specific about the evil one. Well, when you talk about this, 1412, I'm going to show you guys this while we're here, since we're looking at this. You're going to see um, this passage here. And this is why I'm telling you, there is no Lucifer. Right, Lucifer I get that. It was the name of a Roman bishop, right? Right. Here it is, Hill, right here. Here's the passage. <clears throat> Hillel ben Shakar. Hillel ben Shakar. Now, when you read the Strongs, this is going to try to tell you that Hillel... Oh, this is from H 1984 in the sense of brightness, the morning star Lucifer. No, that's absolutely incorrect because you can see very clearly in the Ivrit that the he is oftentimes the prefix the. So this is the, this is a prefix meaning the, and the root word here is yalal, not halal. The root is yalal, which means howling. The howling son of the morning, not Lucifer. Okay, I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, again, I think we can find these things throughout these passages, Alicia, and they do tell us something. Um, when you see the, the tohu bohu, just improperly in, in interpreting the tohu bohu, a desolate ruin, not form and void, a voidless and with, a void and, and without form, but rather a desolate ruin. And if it's a desolate ruin, then something was ruined. Something was there before and it was ruined. Mm -hmm. And in that ruin was planted a garden. This is what is talked about in Genesis 2. We had this, we had 7,000 years of history, and then there's a ruin. And into this ruin is planted a garden. And in the garden is planted man. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that, Alicia. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for those verses that really brought it, many things to light. And you know what they say about Satan in Ezekiel 28, right? That Satan was cast out of heaven. And he landed right in the worship team over at church. <laughs> Gene, how are you doing, brother? I'm good. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. Sound okay. good. Well, I wanted to share with you um, a little bit of the contents of an email that I received today, but it's not on your subject. Is that still okay? Well, it's a sure. I mean, we, we're, we've already been all over the road. I mean, we've got like, you know, bald <laughs> it's tires. Not real, yeah. It's not real. It's not real long. Um, okay. I received a, um, I received an email. It's entitled 
health alert on the mRNA COVID-19 vaccine safety. And it's from the state of Florida Surgeon General. It says it's notifying the healthcare sector of a substantial increase in VAERS, which is Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. Then in Florida alone, there was a 17,000% increase in VAERS reports after the release of the vaccine compared to the normal one of about 400%. Then it says um, the findings that they sent the findings, uh, a letter to the, to the US Food and Drug Administration, the FDA and the CDC, illustrating the risk factors associated with the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines and emphasizing the need for additional transparency. Let me just read the next paragraph, which is the end of it. To support the transparency, the state of Florida reminds healthcare workers or providers, healthcare providers, to accurately communicate the risks and the benefits of all clinical interventions to their patients, including those associated with the COVID-19 vaccine as additional risks continue to be identified. Uh, that kind of blew me away today when I got that. I'm, I'm a, a dentist and I've been practicing for many, many years. Um, but I received that as an email today that actually here's an official um, state coming out and letting everybody know exactly the huge increase of VAERS reports. And I just thought that might be interesting for everybody to know. That's it. Yeah, that's a very good report. And I'll tell you, when you talk about that, the, uh, yeah. You know, we have been, we've been talking about this, this issue with the, uh, the vaxes. Of course, every nation on earth now has explosive numbers of what they call unexpected deaths. Right. Uh, they're also known as sudden adult death syndrome. Uh, excuse me, uh, Dr. Dr. P. Let me just mention that the uh, that exactly what you're saying. That um, let me find that. Oh, um, the reporting of life-threatening conditions increased forty-four hundred percent. That's yeah. what you were saying. And, yeah, and those kinds of numbers. I mean, this is being reported all over the world, every country, right. every country. And so, as a consequence, you have. Uh, the pharmaceuticals are not going to report this stuff. And of course, you know, the top pharmaceutical promoting this is um, the successor of E.G. Farben, right? E.G. Farben, the company, the German company that was responsible for developing Cyclone B, the gas used in the concentration camps, was acquired by Pfizer. Pfizer is, is a successor to E.G. Farben. And so... When you look at, they're not going to report, they're not going to tell you the truth about what's going on with the bears. Harvard says that the bears reports report only 1% of the true injuries because it's voluntary reporting. Right. Right. And voluntary it's involved. Reporting. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it takes a lot of time to do it. Yeah. And so when you're, and a, a dead person doesn't report typically, <laughs> you know. And so what you have is you have, uh, there, I, the last time I checked, it was over 34,000 reported deaths. 
And if that's 1%, that's 3.4 million in the United States alone. And they estimate there are some doctors that are estimating over 25 million dead worldwide so far, so far. And of course, Congress just recently was a a member of Congress was on the stand and she was questioning the Twitter people. And she was saying, look, I took the backs and I'm suffering heart problems and I'm suffering other health issues. And I don't know if I would have done that if you hadn't suppressed the opinions of Harvard doctors, Stanford doctors, and some of the top medical professionals in the world that you decided were opinions that could not be expressed on Twitter. Now, I want to ask you a question, the Congresswoman said to the executive at Twitter who had suspended these accounts. Do you have a medical degree? Well, no, I don't. Well, then by what means did you decide that their opinion should not be heard when they're from the top medical schools in the country? What was what was your decision base that allowed you to do this? Well, the truth is, is that they're spiritually blind. That's what allowed them to do it, is that they're spiritually blind. And this is the, the great difficulty that we have throughout the nation, is that you have, because they have taken bribes, like we saw in the Torah portion today, because they have taken bribes, they've been blinded and they can't see the truth. And so now they're engaged in wickedness. And so, you know, the fact that Florida is coming out and saying that Idaho is now trying to pass a law that will make it a criminal offense to administer the vax. If you administer it, you'll be committing a misdemeanor. You can go to jail for a year for doing it. So, uh, you know, this, there are people that are trying to move forward and trying to clear up the water, but uh, sooner or later, uh, the world is going to recognize. Now, I personally believe that the reason that these things are happening is because the computer is making the decision. The computer made the decision. How do we increase pharmaceutical profits? Well, we, we, you could, the best way to include uh, to increase pharmaceutical profits is with a pandemic, because that's when you're going to sell the most. Oh, well, let's have a pandemic then. How do we increase military industrial complex profits? Well, the best way to do that is with a war. So let's get a war started. So, I mean, this is the kind of thinking that's going on. And they're not thinking beyond this. They're not thinking, well, gee, if we start a war, a lot of people are going to die. Gee, if we start a pandemic, a lot of people are going to die. Gee, if we have a quarantine lockdown of this of the uh, economy, the economy is going to crash. That appears to not have occurred to anyone that this would be the case. They missed it all. So, you know, with this, uh, with the Bears reporting, I'm just so glad to hear Florida has come out with that. But yeah, Florida has okay. published, okay. you said I'm a 4,400% increase, correct? Yes, yes. Let me check it to make sure again. Hmm. Uh, that was that was life-threatening conditions. The reporting of life-threatening conditions increased over 4,400%. Yeah, that would be stroke, blood clots myocarditis, pericarditis. Yeah, well, they listed, Dr. Uh, Dr. P, they listed a lot of these in there, but I didn't want to take too much time. So um, it, the, the value to me is that this is an official letter. It, it can't be squelched like the, the, you know, they do on the internet. They get rid of everything. They just shut it down. Uh, this is an official letter from the, the uh, Department of, let's see, the State Surgeon General. So anyway, that was it. Yep. <laughs> Well, you know what that means? There'll probably be another hurricane over Florida here now. <laughs> right. so hang on to your hat, right? Hang on to your hat. 
Well, thank you, Richie. I appreciate that. Thank you, brother. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay, Victor, let's go to you. What's going on? Hey, Dr. P. Shabbat Shalom. Can everybody hear? Pretty good over here in Texas. Uh, weather's pretty nice. I think we're around the 60s. So, oh, 70s right now. So it's pretty nice. But um, yeah, I just wanted to go over and, and uh, kind of discuss the Torah portion. I think uh, we got into a really good uh, conversation about, I think, really, I believe, you know, it's when Yahusha said, right, anybody who keeps the the least of these and holds on to them to the greatest, right, I think are going to be called great in the kingdom. And then those who, you know, do away with even the least of these will be the least in the kingdom. Um, when he talks about the commandments and, and everything like that. Now, I want to just talk about Moshe, Moshe, because I think his I think probably if we look at it, I mean, it could be that he was influenced by Yisro, his father-in-law, and then, you know, his forefather, which was uh, Yosef, right? Yosef. And um, the reason why I mentioned Yosef is because of what happened during the time of the, the famine and, and things like that. Is it possible that maybe these ideas came from Yosef and kind of like, were written down and transferred over maybe to to Moshe and him giving this this law you know I mean that's possible it's possible that it's it's also possible that it came out of the Midianites as well because remember Jethro was a big influence on this um but I don't think so I think that there was uh um you know depending on which history you look at here Victor I mean for instance, yeah. the Colburn gives us a very difficult history in Egypt at the time, that Egypt was in such disarray that they had lost the impetus to govern. You know, when you talk about those 10 plagues, right, they had completely taken away the impetus of the Egyptians to govern or to be governed. <clears throat> they were living by mystical rules uh, associated with pagan practices of worshiping chimera primarily. But, you know, they were worshiping the frogs and they were worshiping the locusts and they, they, you know, they were, they had all of these things going on and Yah brought these things upon them, whether it was by some a natural event or just merely supernatural, it nonetheless happened. And so Moshe yeah. in the middle of this says, I'm taking my people out of here because although you've lost the impetus to govern, we have not because we have a lawmaker, a king and a judge. And this lawmaker, king, and the judge is going to give us a body of law by which we can live. And so all of these things were kind of came together. I mean, I see these first couple of paragraphs, these first couple of chapters here, 21 through 24, mm -hmm. as being Moshe's first dip into the Torah, really. And, uh, you know, you're going to see a lot of things that have happened here, but some people say that it had a Hammurabi base or that it had a Sumerian base or some of this. And I don't think so. I think that stuff was after the fact. And I think this foundation came primarily from the inspiration of the Ruach HaKodesh. Now, did Moshe get it right? Has it been reported to us correctly? Uh, has it been translated correctly? Those are all big questions in terms of understanding the Torah. And that's why we study the Torah portion to try to dig it out, try to go through it and figure out what's being said. Uh, what is meant there? Do we know what it means? Is that what's actually said? Like the difference between you shall put them to death and you shall die the death. That's, that's a pretty big spiritual difference. 
uh, and in terms of understanding it. And so, yeah, uh, you know, all of these things are big questions in the Torah. And they've been talked about now for three and a half centuries. Trying to work through this and figure out exactly what it is. So did it come from Joseph? Unlikely. I think Joseph brought in principles of, of capitalism in terms of how you deal with uh, sequestering wheat for a seven-year period of time, and then how you trade that wheat uh, in a transaction between voluntary parties. You know, initially, the, the demand was not that acute. The supply was very high. Well, what will you give me for wheat? Well, I need silver for, for my wheat. Okay, I'll pay you silver. Following year, the demand was even higher, and the supply was a little bit lower. Well, what do you give me? Well, I'm going to have to take all of your cattle and your sheep. Okay. Third year, the demand is much higher, and the supply is even lower. What are you going to give me for my wheat? Well, I'm going to take your land, and your territory is now going to become my territory. And at this point, the famine was on the whole world, and Egypt went from being a territory over the River Nile to controlling the known world. And I mean, I think, I think the British Empire was part of the Egyptian Empire at this point. They controlled the known world because they had, they were the only place that had stored wheat. And so you can see on the supply and demand curve that, and it's recorded right there in scripture, right there in Genesis for the eye to see, you can see that Joseph was carefully managing that, those things. And you can also see that there, there must've been laws in place because when he slipped his cup into Benjamin's bag, right? This was a huge offense. Benjamin's going to be held to account for having this cup in his bag and so on and so forth. And there were also slaves being sold into Egypt at the time of Joseph, right? Because Joseph himself was sold into slavery. So, you know, you can tell that there were patterns of, uh, there were patterns, mores, if you will, patterns of social order that were in place at the time Moshe came out. And then Moshe is going to clarify it. Well, when you're dealing with an Ivrit, which is what Exodus 21 is about, not dealing with the Canaanite or dealing with uh, somebody from uh, Sheba or something, you're talking about dealing with an Ivrit. When you're dealing with an Ivrit, you can only hold them as a bond servant for six years, and then you have to let him go. So, you know, if he comes in with his wife, you have to let the two of them go. That's what it says. And then even then, even if you even if you had him their whole life, in the 50th year, you have to release him from all bondage anyway, because that's the Jubilee. You know, and tell that to our government that makes you want to wait, wait another 25 years before you can retire. Well, wait a minute. Scripture says we get to retire at 50. Not you, you don't. You've got another 25 years, you know, and now they're trying to jack up the retirement age again. Oh, you thought you could retire at 70? No, 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 you can't. As soon as you're about to turn 70, it'll be 72. And when you turn 72, it'll be 75. When you turn 75, it'll be 80. And at that point, the life expectancy for men will be 42 years. I'm just wow. kidding. I'm kidding. Well, yeah. 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 Well, really, I think, you know, yeah, what we're looking at, I, I know that, well, we know that it was, um, you know, this whole famine happened and Egypt was, you know, they had a lot of abundance and I think you start to see that crash down and, you know, kind of become like a desolate land in a way, even I think Isaiah writes about it, how, 
even Egypt is going to be taken by Babylon, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but now talking about the, uh, I, I know just real briefly, because I don't know if you've heard about quinceañeras. Have you heard about quinceañeras uh, where, you know, the young teenage woman becomes a teenager at 15, apparently that's what they say, right? But I don't agree with that, honestly, but I know that, um, you know, they give the earrings and you talked about piercing of the ears. What did you, uh, can you give a short, you know, summary about that again, just briefly if, uh, about the piercing, what, what, is, what does it resemble? Um, well, the piercing of the ears for the piercing of the ears for a woman is a, an open statement that they're going to right, submit right, to right. the authority of their husband for life, and that's what it means. Okay. That's the implication of the of the pierced ears. I see. Okay. Wait. All right. We'll just can, you, a... can I just interrupt? Look at Genesis 24, 12 to 14, and Genesis 22. 12 through 14. Um, Genesis 24, 12 to 14. Hmm. And I think it's 24, 22. Also talks about... Okay, so 24, 12. And he said, O Yahweh Elohai Adonai of Abraham, I pray you send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my Adonai Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of men of the city have come out to draw water. Let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down your pitcher, I pray you that I may drink and she shall say, drink and I will give your camels drink also. Let the same be she that you have appointed for your servant Yitzhak and thereby shall I know that you have showed kindness unto my Adonai. And verse 24 says, And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, and she bore unto Nahor. That's what you're talking about, Catherine? I haven't got my sepher with me. I was, I was Abraham's wife for Isaac. I was looking at rings right. and nose rings. So it might be slightly different. No, let's see. Because um, he gave he gave gifts to her at that time, right? The servant. Yeah, he he, he sent out a servant to go and find um, a wife for his son. Perhaps I'm giving the wrong scriptures here. I get muddled up. No, I know what you're talking about. The question is, is whether or not she had a nose ring or some other kind of piercing. In verse and, thirty, yeah. look at verse thirty. Sorry, I got the scriptures and it, wrong. And it came to pass when he saw the earring and bracelets upon his sister's hands, and when he heard the words of Rivka's sister saying, Thus spoke the man unto me, that he came unto the man, and behold, he stood by the camels at the well. And so this is, uh, you know, we use the word earrings, and uh, some people have said, oh, no, this was a, a nose ring, right? And... Um, Let's see if I can find that in just a minute. Yeah, so um, the that's the question. So you were asking about this, Catherine, or you're saying what? Um, basically, um, 
basically, for the marriage. In, for the marriage, the wife was given nose rings, rings, etc., etc. Um, so I've obviously given the wrong scriptures because I've got muddled up in my head with my dyslexia. Yeah, but, but it makes I sense, Catherine, mm -hmm. uh, how he was going out to find uh, Isaac's bride and all these things were were told by Abraham to his servant. I mean, I'm sorry, that uh, the servant uh, said that he would do in finding the bride or that the spirit would reveal to him in finding the bride, right? And therefore, these were the signs with the water, the pitcher, offering the water, and then therefore the gifts he would give to the bride-to-be, right? Yes. He would give it, okay, makes sense, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And in that it resembles the piercing of the ear of the wife to the husband, which is Torah. Initially, it's, uh, it's that resemblance there of, of the wife to the husband. And uh, could that also, in a sense, for us be something that us, spiritually speaking, you know, we would be pierced uh, by the ears when Yahusha comes back or, you know, when he comes back on the bride, as, as you said Line the new Jerusalem, right? And now, in, he in Hezekiah, mm -hmm. somewhere it talks about God saying to one of the kings, You're like my ring. And um, yeah, and I can't remember which scripture it is. Yeah, no, I just wanted to point out that when we talk about this ring, here we see, in fact, let me share this real quick and I'll show you. The ring is a uh, sign of authority with Yah. But here you can see that Strong's is going to try to tell us that the word here is uh, nezim, nezim. And it's an unused root of uncertain meaning, meaning a nose ring. Well, those rings, you know, again, that's Strong's opinion, earring or jewel. And so I know a lot of girls in the in the Roots community that have no problem with the nose ring because guess what? Rivka wore one, right? Nose ring. Or so this is or this is what's understood. Now, by the way, that's Strong's age 5141. Age 5141. Yeah. And uh okay. So anyway, all right, yeah. So you know, and I, I don't know about that what you say. Hold on just a second. I don't know about that, Victor. I mean, when you're talking about us being pierced, you know, um, you know, the bride of Mashiach is only defined in one place, and that's in the book of Revelation. And it says, Here, let me show you the bride of Mashiach, and it is New Jerusalem that is the bride. Whereas Paul talks about us repeatedly as being members of the body. We're members of the body, members of the body, members of the body. And Peter refers to us as, hold on just a second. I got a little bit of extra. I got to try to find where it's coming from. Kings and priests. Yeah, well, no, he talks about us being temple stones, stones cut without hands. Right. And a lot of this is reflected in Revelation 11, 1, 
take out a reed unlike a rod, like unto a rod and measure the stones of the temple. That's us. We're the stones of the temple. So we, so us being the stones of the temple and us being the body of Mashiach, the various parts of Mashiach, I think it's much better for us to understand ourselves that way rather than saying that we're the bride of Mashiach. Even though there is right. a wedding ceremony that's discussed, you know, with the with the with the parable of the ten virgins, right? Parable of the mm. ten virgins. There is right. a discussion that makes it appear like, okay, we're all waiting for Mashiach to come back so we can be Mashiach's bride. But really, we're the body of Mashiach, and his bride is the New Jerusalem. Why is his bride the New Jerusalem? Because the New Jerusalem is not a place of stones. The New Jerusalem right. is is a place of uh, shalom. That's the the shalom part of Jerusalem, shalom, and the Jeru part is this uh, light, this uh, guiding light. It's the guiding light and a place of shalom, and this is the bride of Mashiach. And so, um, yeah, perhaps so not. Like, I would say the servant. Uh, I mean, kind of like a bond servant to. Mashiach, if we if we think about it that way, instead of us being the bride, um, yeah, amen, uh, amen. The bond servants of Mashiach, yeah, the bond servants of God. Yeah, in the end, right when we we're faced with judgment, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, you know, I think I think that's the way we should look at it as us, you know, being that bond servant forever with Mashiach. So yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good point. I think that's a very good point. Yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's just, you know, th this whole idea of bond servanthood, you know, again, I mean, we've had a, a, a very volatile discussion today about, uh, about this Torah portion because it is a difficult Torah portion. And I think Gene raised a really good point in that this is a called up peculiar people who are under contract. They've come into an agreement saying, all that you have said to do, we will do. And so we become, a, you know, it, it is a curious people. And what, and who are we? Are we Yasharel? I mean, you know, and so these are all uh, important points. Uh, the, what is the Torah? What is the Torah for us? Right. And, you know, so important points. Well, anyway, well, thank you, Victor. And thanks for being so patient with us, brother. You waited so thank long. Thank you. To speak. <laughs> Okay. All right, Catherine, did you want to come forward with something here? Catherine, you, you got to unmute there. Catherine? Can you hear me? Now I can hear you, yes. Okay. Um, oh, I've lost it now. Oh, yeah. I'm, ha I'm sadly having to read off the King James Version, so please forgive me. Um, let me quickly read this. On that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of, I can't pronounce it, Sheetali, uh, forgive me because I'm a dyslexia, says this year, and I will make thee as a signet ring, for I have chosen thee, says the Lord of hosts. So when Yah gave authority to the kings and their rings were sealed, 
Yah gave them authority to prove it was a truthful document. They used to seal things. They used to seal things so it was a truthful document. So if we're going to get sealed in the last days, it is Yah choosing us. So surely he'll give his kings and priests, because he's going to choose kings and priests to reign and rule with Yeshua. Surely that seal will be from Yah's signet ring. I don't know. They're just mm. questions in my head. Yeah, well, you know, for me, I think Yah's signet ring is the Shabbat. Uh, Ezekiel 2020. This is my mm. seal, the Shabbat. His people are sealed in Shabbat. Yeah. But yeah, and so what is the signet ring? I mean, you know, I mean, anyway, but, you know, but, well, anyway, thank you for revealing that passage, Catherine. It's very good. Yeah. Um, okay. Another question, and then I just want to go. Now, you spoke about the ref theme, because I've got a lot of distractions going on around me. Is the ref theme, are they disembodied spirits of the Nephilim? Yeah, that's right. It's about yeah, that's, it. yeah, that's correct. That's a good way to understand it. Yeah, I just I just wanted to clear that up and I've got no more questions for tonight. Okay. Okay, thank right. you. Thanks, Shabbat Catherine. Shalom. Shabbat shalom. Thank you. Okay, David, how are you, brother? Oh, I'm, I'm, it's an interesting battle, brother. I've got uh, some testimony that I was hesitant to give, but several things have happened to me over a period of time that uh, molded me, gave me uh, things that were pretty uncommon because I I wasn't looking to uh, associate with uh, with the classical religious things, like when Herman Goering's boat tied up next to my boat in Seward. I mean, what's the... You're kidding. You're, you're kidding no, me. No, it tied right up next to me, and the guy that was in control of it didn't let me wander around it. And I put my hands on the tiles that the, the slaves had made, and it was witnessing to me. Well, that's one thing. There's a lot of those kind of things in my life. Uh, Lyndon Johnson's muscle that burnt the ballot boxes in Texas was like almost like a second daddy to me. He kept me from... Uh, my life would be in ruined. And he told me several things that were what was controlling the United States. He says, what you hear on the, on the radio and see on, and, and read in the newspaper, see on television and read in magazines. He says, oh, that's the song of the dance. This, this, money talks and uh, he said, BS walks in this country. And so he said, if you, want, if, you, if, if you don't choose to go to Vietnam, he said, I'll see to it even if I got to call Lyndon. And I knew he was telling me the truth. It went on and, and he, he really, it was, it, was a, it goes into quite a story. But now I was flying out of Anchorage, heading for Seattle, and I would feel the Ruach. And uh, next thing you know, he tells me, listen, and I hear uh, that. Ibri language being spoken across the aisle. I says, what's the dialect that you're speaking? They said, Hebrew. I said, uh, where are you from? He said, Yerushalayim. 
And I said, uh, how long have you lived there? And he says, all my life. And I said, you saw the whole thing? He said, yes. I said, uh, what do you do? I, he said, I'm a nuclear physicist. Uh, right then, I, I realized, we, got, we began to talk and wound up sitting together in, the, in, in quite a long discussion. I realized his lineage, his lineage was a vine dresser. His family didn't go into captivity for punishment or not given the land rest because the vine dressers didn't go. And I realized that he, he knew it. And him being a nuclear physicist, he probably was either the one or knew the one or was involved in the neutron bomb. And so how much stroke he had in the land and knew who he knew was in the topper echelon. So I talked to him about what Ron Wyatt had uh, talked about, about in, in Yerushalayim and what uh, Michael Rood had talked about, about sand operated elevators in the columns and how the, uh, how the historian talked about the, coll the collapse of the columns. And he goes, I said, the Ministry of Antiquities probably knows. He says, I want to know now. And so uh, he said, I can find out. So you know, show me when, when just no, no more than he got back to the land, Ariel Sharon, which I'm sure he knew very well, goes up to the Temple Mount, almost starts a chaotic, tremendous war with the Philistines. Right. Then Ariel Sharon went into a coma. And yeah. I went, I went well, I went, that wasn't time. He, 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 it, and what, what this nuclear physicist had asked Ariel Sharon, find out about from the Ministry of Antiquities if this fellow's telling me any, anything about the truth, because it sure felt like it. Well, that was real interesting to me because also witnessed to me about when I met a Levitical priest who knew he was of the lineage of the Levites. And yeah, now, David, he, before you go on, before you go on, go okay. back to this mystery of iniquity thing again and explain to me exactly what you're thinking here. The mystery of iniquity, this, this lawlessness. And it's the mystery that people have been deceived by. The mystery of iniquity is a mystery that is in a fallen understanding that allows them lawlessness. That's a mystery. It's a mystery to go. them. It's a mystery to go. them. Okay. Okay. So is it yeah, their okay. fault? Is it their fault? See, if we blame flesh and blood, when it talks about to pray for your enemies, it, it, it comes to me that it's extremely, uh, it's written plainly. But he says, now, you need to pray for your enemies. Well, that doesn't mean that, you know, he talks about who you don't pray for. Don't pray for these. And I'm going, well, then you got to get an understanding of that our battle's not with flesh and blood. Well, if our battle's not with flesh and blood, then who are we looking at here? He says, don't know anybody carnally. You have to know them uh, with spiritual discernment. So if we're looking at a man, that's not died once. He's a candidate. He's a candidate for the salvation because you is not willing that any should perish. No matter what condition is he in, whether he's in, a, in the third and fourth generational sin or the 
the reprobate mind, if he hadn't died once, he still stands for the, for the salvation. And he showed me that when he says, no, you're not that you're not, this is second Corinthians, uh, uh, now, First Corinthians chapter six. No, you're not that you're not uh, that you're going to judge Malachim. Can't you even judge the smallest thing? Wait, wait, wait. We're going to judge Malachim. When is that going to happen? Well, oh, that's that's an interesting time. You have yeah, to judging angels. Judging angels. You have yeah. to, right. You have to come to the revelation of I uh, uh, of of Tehillim for 149th revelation. This this right belongs to all the Kodashim to execute the uh, the the written right ruling. In, 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 in several places, it says this right belongs to the kind ones. And you go, in the kind ones, well, you're ministering punishment to the people. Why is it punishment? Because it takes their dominion away from them and puts them in a position of the revelation of their condition so that they can repent like it did on the Feast of Weeks. The, the harvest of the Feast of Weeks is an example. So when a person becomes convicted of their transgression past the veil that the devil's put on their mind something has to happen that's really phenomenal and it has to happen to their sovereigns who are their sovereigns well it has to do with the powers and principalities of the darkness what's happening now is the lights exposing the deeds that are done in the darkness and it's going to get more and more increased because the devil's not going to be able to hide his things anymore like that because there's an awakening coming. Now, let me speak about the signet ring for a second before I go. When the, uh, the, the wayward son managed to get to the father's house after walking with the father for quite a while, there was pretty big transitions in walking with the father. It was preparing him for entering into his house. So when he entered into his house, it's a type and a shadow of the engagement ending. The engagement that happens when you're immersed in Yahushua's name for the remission of sins, you enter into the, to the, the, the engagement. That's why it's mandatory. You have to be born again with the circumcision of flesh made without hands. That's mandatory to receive the indwelling of the Ruach into a new creation, a temple, not made with hands. Okay, so now when that happens, a connection happens, a connection that has to happen. And then the mind, which is the woman in the garden, has to be silent until it becomes ichad with the renewed spirit. And then what? Yahuwah's word comes up. His prophetic word that has dominion. It's not complete dominion until until the signet rings put on, which is the the end of the of uh, uh, you know uh, of, of the engagement. That's, that's the uh, the esteemed body that's likened to Yahusha's esteemed body. That's that's the wedding ring. It's the it's the end of it. It's 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 the esteemed body like like Yahusha's esteemed body, and and coming into that authority. That's no longer you that lives, but it's the anointing that lives in you. That has to be the dominion. It's not, it's not anything that has to do with ourselves because we've lost our lives. And, and that's why we're on the mountain with the lamb. So in that, you see the result of what a wedding ring represents. And it, it's actually the end 
of of the preparation time to come to the finish of it and the salvation of the body. And that only happens with the ones that, that go with the bridegroom in the in the middle of right before the great distress. Why? Well, it's it's setting it up for the 10 days of awe that leads up to Yom Kippur uh, and the appearance of the scent, the harvesters, just like Yahushua when he came out of the wilderness in power, it was on Yom Kippur. It tells us that. And so when That's that right. happens, right. and so that when, when that happens, the, the dominion of Yahuwah began to be proclaimed by the tall and smooth skin, the people that never have been seen before nor never shall be seen again, because this is the remnant that it arises first, that goes with the bridegroom at midnight. Now you're saying that these are glorified bodies? Absolutely. It, it's, it, it's the end of the, uh, uh, of the, uh, it's the end of the engagement into the formal, the formal manifestation of the prize. And when you see that, when you see that, that the first fruits of the resurrection are the tall and the smooth skin that never have been seen before. And it says that they bring a present to you. Well, what's the present? The great crowd, the great crowd and the camps in the wilderness that preserve them to, to the day spring from on high. This is done by the tall and the smooth skin that also overcomes the devil and brings him into position to go to the fire, to the pit and the false prophet and the beast to the lake, to the lake of fire, the second death. How come who all goes to that uh, lake of fire at the, at the end of the, of the nighttime when the devil goes to the pit for a thousand years, who all does? Well, you don't want it to happen because he's not, he doesn't want anybody to perish, but it looks like two thirds of mankind go to, to, to that second death uh, in that death. But I'm not sure of that at this point, because there is quite a few of uh, individuals that maybe maybe sheep maybe sheep maybe sheep at the great white throne at the end of the uh, of the seventh day at the beginning of the eighth day, the Sukkot, that uh, is where the white throne is, and that's where the devil goes to the fire, the second death. Now, when that happens, a new heaven and a new earth, everlasting to everlasting. Whoever makes it over there, Ibri. Ibri means to cross over. That crossing over into that new heaven and new earth is uh, everlasting to everlasting. And uh, then, then he promises through the ages to come, he's going to show us how, how awesome he is in the ages to come. How awesome is that? I mean, that's just gives, it's not going to be boring sitting around and go get you going at each other. It's going to be, it's going to be some big time drama in the ages to come. He's going to show us things that he has reserved for his chosen. Yeah. Amen. It's exciting. Real exciting to me. I, I, I know it. And I, I've been uh, getting more and more. I don't mean to offend anybody. I seem like I go contrary to anything, but it's gotten awesomely big to me. And I appreciate the being able to share this. This takes a, a confidence in you, Stephen. 
to allow this to go forth, this kind of open testimony mm. that it's mm -hmm. been rare in the earth. It's been rare because it leaves the vulnerability uh, that most can't handle. They, they operate in a control like a Solish type government, a King Solish type government that has a, a general that will uh, persecute whoever does come against his authority, even though it might be, it might even be his own son, Jonathan. And uh, so <clears throat> that kind of uh, stepping out, Yuhagate, I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced that Yuhua has an anointing that is, is special in that he wants to bring forth some things now that have been hidden and has, has used you to do that. I understand that. That's the reason I'm here. I have my, my background doesn't really associate with a, a whole lot of reading and quoting of scripture. I have to uh, depend on him writing it in my heart and placing it in my mind. And I, I don't have the recall of verse this and verse that like, I've depended on it because I haven't. I've depended on him writing it in my heart and placing it in my mind. And if he don't speak through me, I have had uh, the times where he's had me do things that, he, uh, for instance, if I may, I, I stepped outside my little motorhome when I was a young uh, apprentice electrician in Austin. And I asked him, uh, I'm in the yard of the electric company. It's early, and he, I said, Father, I says, I don't know. I want you to hear me, and I knew he was propelling me to say this. If there's anything you want me to do, I'll do it. But I need to know it's you. So I went to work. I came home that day. I came back from work. And the owner of the, uh, of the company, and I'm just a peon. I'm making like $1.75 an hour. And he says, uh, have David come in here. And I said, yes, sir. He goes, I think you need to do this, David. And I said, what? He says, well, there's a man you need to talk to and, and he wants you to do something and I believe you need to do it. So I talked to him and I said, he said, I want you to fly with me to Tyler, Texas and speak to all the retire, all the graduating students in Tyler, Texas about why, what they should be careful about in this, in this age of drug abuse. I said, you what? He says, I want you to fly. And he goes through it. And I said, how'd you get my name? He looked at me and says, I don't have any idea. And I said, well, this is just completely out of the box. And I said, this has to be answer to that prayer. So I said, okay, I'll do it. So I got on a jet, flew up to Tyler, Texas, walked out into an auditorium. They had 5,000 kids there from all over the all over Tyler. And they had lawmen and faculty and in the natural I, I didn't have any confidence in my ability. What I said to the father there, standing there looking at this, I'm fixing to speak, and then I speak to all the kids broken up in small groups all day long. I said, if you don't speak through me, I don't have any idea what to tell them. I'm going to trust in you giving me what to say to them because you got me here to begin with. And he did all day long. And I wound up after it was all over with going to the airport and had a bunch of kids going to want to go to the airport with me. And the, and then they wanted me to come back to speak to all the, uh, all the, the parents because it got spread abroad through the whole city. And then they wanted me to travel all over the United States doing it. 
the story behind that is that I began to learn that if he don't speak through me, it ain't going to happen. If I say what he says, say, it, they weren't following me to the airport. They were following him. Exactly so we have, right. And we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of the lamb cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That fellowship is the kind of fellowship that he wants us to have that brings that cleansing from the blood, even to our enemies. It's a serious, serious thing, Stephen. And we're moving in it now. And we're getting closer, praise Jehovah. And we're fixing to see some real dynamic things that are going to be set uh, completely amazing for us. I'm really, uh, I'm really, it's, uh, it's terrible to watch the suffering that goes on right now that's in, in Ohio and in, in uh, Turkey and in northern Syria. But I know that northern Syria, is, is, no matter what the person thinks about it, looks like in the natural, is the seat of authority still over the northern 10 tribes. And when that is de demolished completely, it says that uh, a stronghold that on, on the northern 10 tribes is loose, but they're extremely weak, extremely weak. I think I, I see that we're closer to that than ever. I'm not going to throw down and uh, take the imagery of the Jezreel Valley and throw it out. I'm not going to take the imagery of the seat of authority of, of Assyria and I'm looking at it. I, I see the evil that's coming from the new right-wing religious party that uh, Netanyahu is uh, uh, once again in charge of. And it's, it's really uh, anchored in manifesting uh, the control that doesn't proclaim his name. It won't let it happen. For that, for that judgment, it's going to come down on that. But that doesn't happen until what's written happens. And that, that whole understanding that there's going to be a morning and evening sacrifice that begins is, is being battled out right now. Uh, I was warned to not speak anything against that altar because the battle doesn't start until the abomination steps up and stop, uh, stops it. And it looks like to me the abomination is what allows it to happen to begin with. Interesting stuff. But remember, it doesn't happen. The great distress doesn't happen until it's stopped. And I believe we're approaching that at lightning speed. And <clears throat> I don't want to leave those, those understandings because I've met, I've met the ones that were uh, incorporated into the southern tribes that weren't taken captive into Babylon. I met uh, uh, some that were uh, adopted that came from Hezekiah's uh, Pesach. That was an early leading into it. And that, that, that remnant that came to celebrate Pesach from all over is a type in the shadow of the end time gathering, but they were all adopted into the Southern tribe. They weren't, that wasn't the return of the manifestation of the Northern 10 tribes. It was a type in the shadow of it. And the persecution that they got, Ishiyahu and Hezekiah both got from the, uh, the commander of the, the, uh, of the, uh, the seat of Asher, or the, the sovereign of Asher, 
that was speaking Hebrew to them and telling them to forsake what that Hezekiah. Oh, he says, hey, that, that guy just tore down your high places. He's guilty of all this stuff. He's speaking to them in Hebrew. That kind of deception we're seeing. And it's uh, it's big stuff now. I mean, it's, you have to, I, I, I don't, I don't claim to have the recall of chapter and verse like a lot of people do. And I, I would love to have it. I'd love to have it. And I so have to search it out and praise you. Oh, he's restoring my vision to where I can see better and, and, and giving me a more of an understanding. Uh, anyhow, I just thank you Ua, for allowing this to take place so that we can give a, a word of our testimony and have his sovereignty give us increase. In Yosha's name. Praise Yahuwah. Shalom. Shalom. Amen. Yeah, interesting stuff, David. Interesting stuff. And of course, you know, a lot of us are looking with anticipation as to where we are in current events, right? And how close are we to the precipice? It seems like we're right there at the edge. And, you know, I'm not going to speak to that much longer today because I don't want to put any fear in anybody's heart during Shabbat. I'll bring that back to the table on Monday. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, but when, uh, when we talk about, when we talk about where the world is now, have confidence. You know, one of the things that you said here, brother, that I think is really good, that when we recognize that we're fighting a war in heaven with, with principalities, this is where the, where the war is being fought. It's easy to forgive even your enemies because your enemies are doing what they thought was right, or they thought that they were doing this, or maybe they even had a wicked heart. But even the wicked heart is being directed by dark forces in the principalities. And we recognize that our war is there. It's not here. And so to, to pray for the carnality of people here to say, let them be redeemed. Let them come to know. Let them repent. Right? I mean, I repented from a lot. May, some, may my enemies repent from a lot. You know? And come back to understand that the Yah is about forgiveness and about kindness and about restoring people to his kingdom. May it happen. And in the meantime, we see the difficulties of the earth and the difficulties of the earth are rising in a massive crescendo right now. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, truth be told, Babylon is crashing. Okay. Egypt is falling. Babylon is crashing. And you, all the king's horses and all the king's men are not going to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. It's not going to happen. And so the, the rest of the people in the country have to look to the idea that we are Yah's children. We have a responsibility that he be our king, our judge, and our lawgiver, and that we learn to take care of that. And as we do learn to take care of that, we do the best we can while we can. And I think that's enough. You know, do the best you can. When, I return, you can. when I return from Tyler speaking to the youngsters, uh, two electricians that I worked with there at that company cornered me. And they said, you flipped on us and we're going to kill you. I said, I didn't flip on you. And I wouldn't have done it if this hadn't happened. So when I explained to them what happened, their pace failed, I mean, paled. And the killing went away from them, killing me went away from them. And they went, oh, okay. That's not, that's, I understand why you did it. Then. So. Uh, but they were, they, were, they wanted to kill me because they thought he thought I they thought that I flipped on them and was giving them up. 
Well, no, 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 no. That, I told him, I said, I wouldn't have done it had I not prayed this. And then this happened. And what happened later on after that, uh, at more manifestations of it is just, I mean, uh, so off the chart. I, I, maybe uh, you're willing, I'll be able to bear witness of it. I just wanted to throw that in that they wanted to kill me and they were serious. And uh, I'm, I'm just thanking the father that the witness that I told them was his witness and it stopped it. It cut it off and it, it humbled them. Well, maybe we see, maybe see more wonderful things like that in the near future. In well, David, future. thank you, brother. Thank you for I letting really me speak, Stephen. I, I didn't mean to say a bunch more, but I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Shabbat shalom. You bet, brother. Take care. Shabbat shalom. Okay. Lisa, how are you, sister? I'm well. How are you? Very good. Good. I have, I know we're kind of over time, so I'll make this super quick. Um, when we were um, talking about 21, 22, where there were the two men striving, um, and then if a woman who is pregnant um, got injured, I think in 23, that's also referring to the same situation because here it says, if men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart and yet no mischief. So she goes into labor, but no one's hurt then he will still be punished. But if there is mischief, I'm sorry, mischief followed, then you shall give life for life. I think right there is indicating that the unborn is life already exists in it. Hey, there you go. Beautiful. Beautiful. Right. Right in the Torah portion right there. Beautiful. Right in the Torah yeah. portion. And then also we think of slavery um, as different than perhaps it was back then. Um, and the reason why I say this is, you know, in 16, it says he that steals a man and sells him. So obviously he sold him to slavery, but earlier on, and he should be put to death, but earlier on, it says if she shall, he shall come in by himself. So it kind of seems like this slavery that is first talked about in verse 21, these first few verses are talking about where people are like, I'm going to commit myself as a slave for a period of time. So it's voluntary. Yeah, a bond so servant. And I'll tell you, this was it's very common. I mean, even I yeah. think my fifth grade grandfather came into the new world as a bond servant. He left Ireland and he came into the new world as a bond servant to work seven years in the coal mines in Canada as a bond servant before he could bring his wife over. And, you know, so it was very common and it, it was the same thing in West Virginia. That's how they did it. And then of course the, the name of the game was to put the bond servants in so much debt, they could never escape. I owe my soul to the company store. Right? Is Tusk Remember? about your grandfather? What's that? Is Tusk about your grandfather's story? Just out of curiosity. No, Tusk is actually, Tusk is a story of all, it's like a culmination of all the events that happened in Alaska. Mm, and right. it's it's a difficult story because when you read it, you're going to see, and like David, be, David would be able to testify to it, Alaska was an extremely difficult place. I mean, when you talk about the frontier, the territory becoming the frontier, and then coming into the pipeline era, you can't imagine, people in North Dakota will tell you this in South Dakota, maybe John Kolb can testify to it. When oil comes to town, your place is ruined. Mm. It's wrecked. When pipeliners come in and all that stuff, they destroy, they're like locusts. They come in and destroy the place. They have no morals, no ethics. They're, they're just criminal barbarians 
and they completely destroy the place. So the kind of, the kind of, um, and this goes on actually in the Russian far East as well, like Vladivostok and Vladivostok to this day is just a barbaric city. I mean, it's just absolutely barbaric. I think they may have cleaned it up a little bit, but even in the 1990s, uh, you know, uh, the mayor would routinely get murdered. They wouldn't put, uh, re-elect an, uh, elect a new mayor. They'd just kill the old one. Mafia transactions everywhere. Just a complete, total dystopia. And so the stories you hear in Tusk are true stories. And for the most part, when we get later on to the book, well, then we get into some fiction. But in the first part of the book, the, these things, like when I was writing this stuff, I was just writing, well, here's the narrative about what happened. Here's the narrative about what happened. Here's the narrative what happened. And so when you hear these things, this is, um, it's a combination of stories, okay? I had, like I mentioned at the beginning of the book, you know, I went to 18 funerals before I was 21, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, uh, I don't know how we, I really don't know how we survived. My friends and I, I played my 50th high school reunion and I saw some of the people I went to high school with. And I don't know how we survived for 50 years. I don't know how we survived the 70s at all. It was, you know, back then we had an impossible situation up here. There were only two lane roads. All the cars were only two wheel drive. Nobody had a four wheel drive. All the cars were two, and they weren't even two wheel drive. They were one wheel drive. And the, that one wheel, the one that had the least traction is the one that would cut out and spin. And we were supposed to drive on icy roads that they didn't maintain. They didn't put sand down. We didn't have studded tires. We didn't have anything. We just had these you know, crazy old junk heaps that we were trying to drive on icy roads and hills and everything else. I don't know how we did it. And the environment was so difficult and so rough that um, a lot of people died. And, and a lot of people are still dying up here. I mean, this last week we had a an eight-year-old sledding. He was sledding in his backyard and he slid under his, I think his dad's car. His dad was backing up. We had a we had a fellow here two months ago who was going to speed down the highway on his motorcycle. And he was going down the highway at 100 miles an hour. And guess what? He hit a moose. And that was the end of it. Yeah. And you know, so we have, you know, th these kinds of tragedies still happen here. But yeah, I, I buried a lot of people and uh, it was, it was very, you know, you don't realize that when you're a kid, when you become a teenager, you realize it. And so the kind, and so these things that I'm talking about in Tusk, like this up, the, the first part of the book, which is about Ella G is a tragedy. Okay. It's a tragic story. And I didn't realize it was going to be tragic. I was just trying to write a preface to the ultimate plot of the book. But this is what came out, and her life is uh, a vapor in the wind, really. Mm -hmm. But it's very important. She's a very important person. She's a very important person because for all the tragic events that happen in her life comes the rest of the story. Okay. And, uh, and, and, and we'll do, you'll see this as we get into it. And ultimately, you know, ultimately, when we talk about these things, there is something to be said about the fact that Yah's world is ever present. Mankind's failures are all over the place. It's like, uh, it's like, um, how do you put it? Rabid dogs. You know, you can have an environment where there's rabid dogs, but it doesn't change the fact that those rabid dogs are running in a beautiful forest. Mm -hmm. 
And Yah's world is ever present. And, you know, and I do believe, and I do believe this to this day, that we have the mountain at the top of the mountains in the far north. And, you know, at our little fellowship, as small as it is, and as much as we try, we're trying to establish sacred ground here. And, but there is so much blood all over the land in Alaska, so much blood that, um, yeah, that, uh, that it is, it, it's just, and that's why you're going to hear these stories. When you hear these stories, you're going to, you'll recognize that um, it's not just about me. It's not about my grandfather, not really about my family. You know, we didn't come up by boat you know, we came up differently, but you know, but you're going to be that boat really did exist. Those those things really did happen, and the um, you know you mean you remember hearing about the car bomb? Yeah, the car bomb that went off. That really did happen. Yeah, that really did happen. Yeah, and uh, so uh, you know, so anyway, you're going to hear about these events, but the names have been have been changed, but not much to protect the innocent. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, was so I was so upset when she had to leave that little suitcase. I don't know what about that. It was just like, what? <laughs> anyway, getting back to the tour. <laughs> One that was of- upsetting. Huh? That is, that is upsetting. You know? Yeah. It was yeah, like yeah. his necklace wasn't. Anyway. Um, yeah, that really upset me that he couldn't even. Anyway, so getting back to the tour portion. Um, when in in verse 14 when it, i think this is the first time when we're hearing um well at least in this torah portion about um if a man shall come presumptuously to his neighbor to slay him with guile you shall take him from my altar that he may die so i know that we know that this is die the death die the death after this or could be um, I'm wondering if that's the, because it's, what is it, the rule of primacy? This is the first time that he may die. If they're saying, taking him away from the altar, that he may die. It's also indicating that those others that shall be put to death, that's the same um, method, same I guess. Yeah, same method, yeah. And, it's, and when you look at it, it has a prophetic implication because the altar ultimately is going to be removed entirely you know in 70 ad there is no more altar and there hasn't been an altar since and so you know ultimately the altar would be removed that they would be taken away from the altar and what does that mean well we're not i'm not counting you as my people anymore you're dispersed you're gone you're not my people anymore you're just you're out in the world and there's plenty of prophecies that say he will come back and he will pull his people back together but that's a very good insight i think in, into that passage yeah Anyway, that's all I have. <laughs> Shabbat shalom. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, sister. Thank you. You blessed my morning this morning. Thank you. Okay. Jackie, Jackie Acosta, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. So uh, I don't want to take a lot of time. Um, and kind of has to do with what, you know, you said in Isaiah that Yahuwah is our lawgiver. Anyway, um, my sister goes to a church in California. It's a remnant church, and he teaches uh, prophecy, and he's also dispensationalist. 
And I was watching him one evening on YouTube. And, and like you said, the Christian church, you know, was like Paul, you know, talks about Paul. Anyway, he was just saying that the re, you know, that they're under grace and that's why they can eat pork and go to church on Sunday. And I talked to my sister, you know, about this because I was just saying, you know, that I don't have a fellowship here and it's, and it's, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes. And I'm, you know, I'm even thinking, you know, I would like to go to church, but I told her I'm not going to go to church on Sunday, you know, because of Yahweh's Shabbat. And she was telling, saying, um, talking about the dispensation of grace and, uh, and I said, yeah, but those were his laws. And I, put on you know the shabbat the commandment about shabbat and she was saying oh well that's works you know jesus uh you know uh was working on the shabbat as far as like you know saving people and she was saying you know it uh what that was his you know why he came is to save people and and and, and what did it matter if people got saved on sunday and um, I didn't want to get that's all, that's all the that's all the you know, in my opinion, that's all Christian Christian mythology. It's all Romanism. It's it's teaching iniquity from the pulpit. This is what David was talking about earlier, the mystery of iniquity. It's uh -huh. a mystery why they have fallen into the iniquity. And it's because of pastors teaching that kind of thing. And, you know, when you're teaching that, oh, gee, that's all works. Well, look. Isn't your little altar call where you have people come up and say the prayer, isn't that a work? Isn't that a work? I mean, if we're going to talk about works, isn't that a work? And why does, you know, James, Peter, Jude, Paul, John the Revelator, and Mashiach himself in the gospel say, you will be judged by your works? What does Mashiach say? You will be judged by every word that comes out of your mouth. Aren't those works? What does, what does James say? Faith without works is dead. What does it say in Revelation? They're judged according to their works. They're judged according to their works, and they're judged according to their works. Paul says the same thing. You don't you know that you will come to be judged according to the works you have done? This is it said over and over again. But somebody went to the Dallas Theological Seminary and taught them, oh, it's grace alone, and your works don't mean anything, and you can sin, 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 sin. The only law that you have to obey, the only law that didn't get nailed to the cross in the Old Testament is the tithe. That way I can continue to build a big church that glorifies my name. Yeah. Am I wrong about this? Well, um, he doesn't he doesn't say anything about tithes, but I guess they they just give on their own, but he doesn't say anything about tithes. But uh the thing do is they have a membership, do they have a membership requirement? Yeah, yeah, they do have a membership. And does the membership requirement have a written contract that obligates you to a tithe? I I don't know because I, you know, I'm not a part of that. I, I don't, I, I, never, I never asked so her. You haven't, you haven't seen the writing yet? No, I haven't seen the writing, but. Look, and report back to me. I'm interested in seeing if they have a written obligation for you to tithe. Yeah, it it's. um uh what upset me is that i wasn't 
I didn't want to argue with her. I mean, because I could already feel the tension between us and she's my sister and I don't want to ruin our relationship, you know, because I don't have very many members in my family that I can speak to about this. And uh, um, never argue. Yeah. I, Jacqueline, I'm sorry. This is Alicia. Can I give you something? Uh huh. Dr. P has a video. I believe it's on suffer.net called who are you worshiping and he goes into detail about the word church and what it means as circus yeah and bible as biblios okay mm -hmm. and um it's very eye-opening to to look at this video again for you because it gave me peace because I came from a Southern Baptist, I know exactly what your sister is saying. And but here's the thing, my mother, she finally understood when I said, Mom, did Yahusha eat pork? And she said, I don't know. And I no. said, well, when he was brought before the Pharisees and Sadducees, they had to find people to lie because he didn't eat the pork he didn't break the laws he followed the torah and so my mom finally understood oh if he had eaten pork they would have condemned him for it so i said if we're to follow christ i don't eat pork anymore and she and understood more, that but one more thing is like he went into the temple on Shabbat as was his, what's the word? As, custom. Yes, custom. as was his custom. So we follow him. The Catholic Church made Sunday the lion people. And that's the enemy. Right. And watch the video then, because he goes into the that a lot. And yeah. It was well, I, I, I understand. I know all of that, but, um, and, but I, like I said, I don't, I, she wasn't open. And so no matter what I would say, you know, she's not going to understand. No, she's not. And not so that does it right. Yeah. Right. And, and, I, and like I said, I don't want to ruin the relationship. Right. between my sister and myself you and know I, she, I, but don't do I like would, alicia did Elise, but do like alicia did here uh, jackie just ask one or two questions and let it stay there just ask yeah. a couple of questions you don't need to convince her or browbeat her or argue with her at all just yeah. ask her a question you know pull out the end of john 17 and oh, ask yeah. her. it says here that the messiah said, I'm going to declare, I've had declared your name unto them and will declare it. What name is he talking about? Could you help me with this? What name is he talking about that he was declaring? Just ask her that question. Oh. And, and, and I'm, I'm in Southern California and I have not one soul near me or in my home that believes as I do. I'm alone too. And, um, you're kidding. No, I'm the only one that I know that and, and all, all my Southern California. So I'm alone too. I have no Bible study to go to. So I understand that. Yeah. Well, it, and yeah, I mean, cause I, sometimes I'm just like, 
I'm so alone not having fellowship, you know, because like I said, I was even thinking of going to a, 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 a Christian church, but I don't want to, you know, just for fellowship. But I mean, but it's going to be un, unequally yoked. That's why you're here. Dr. B, may I may I say something? Dr. Yes, B? Sure. Okay. There's nowhere in the Tanakh, as far as I read the Tanakh, where there's a, a shul, which it, a, a temple. Um, I don't know if you want to explain to them what a shul is, but it's it's like a temple, but it's not a temple or a synagogue. Let's put it that way. Because that's where I used to go to a shul. That it says that Yah gave instructions for people to go to these places. It doesn't say that. I haven't run into it. I haven't run into it in the Tanakh or the Brit Hadashah. Where does it say that? It says, do not leave, do not leave off being alone or you know, to gather, gather. I think it's in the book of Hebrews. Yes, but you can gather together with, like Yahusha said, well, when they were sent out, the 12 Talmudim, he said, go. And if they don't let you, if they don't want to hear you in the houses, that's where they went to. They went to, to the tell houses, them about, right. They didn't go to any shul. They didn't go to any synagogue. Yes. It's so true. The and true I don't fellowship see where is the house says, fellowship, the home fellowship. You, 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 I don't see where it says you will become a Jew or that you will become <laughs> this or that. It doesn't say that. I haven't seen that. Messiah so if, said somebody can, if somebody can show me where that is, I mean, I would love to see it because I have read the Tanakh left and right, left and right for years. And the brick had a shot. I started to read it, and there's nowhere in there that it says that. So where did they get that? Yeah. Where's and that written? There's no place that says come to the altar and join the church and do your tithing and be baptized and uh, listen to what I say, right? There's nothing like that. Right, right. He said he that would not leave us alone. He won't leave us alone. He's going to give us a comforter that's going to dwell in us. And then that comforter that dwells in us will eventually come to know others and have fellowship with like we're having right now. This is a fellowship that's not flesh and blood fellowship uh, like, uh, like man has. This doesn't have the mystery of iniquity in it like man has. But it's a fellowship that you can take comfort in because the comforter bears witness. That comforter is in your heart. Take comfort in that gift. He's not going to leave you alone. Praise you. I thank, thank you. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, That's no, okay. it's very true. And, and, and Jackie, just be careful that you don't want to compromise your beliefs in order to satisfy your loneliness. Okay. Okay. I know it's, okay. I know it's difficult. I know it's well, difficult. I'm, I'm glad to hear that I'm, I, because I, I do know better but like i said it, it's just i uh the people that i did fellowship with where it was just two couples and one couple moved to alaska 
and um, the other ones live about 20 miles away from me. So we we don't get together anymore, you know, and. Uh, yeah, I know it's, it's so, difficult, but I can tell you, if you're going to fellowship with these people, use questions. Don't argue. Right. Use right. questions. Well, I can feel just, the, the tension, you know, coming up in my sister. And yeah, so I'll, I'll, bet you, I'll bet you the biggest problem with her is you're trying to take away pork. <laughs> Some people are just addicted to that stuff. You know, I got to have my pork. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, she, Parasites. <laughs> she still does eat pork, you know, and. Uh, yep. And so and a lot of people don't know it. It's like physically addictive, you know. I mean, when you have people that are like putting pork on their ice cream, really? Like, oh, yeah, we got to have bacon on this. We got to have bacon on that, bacon on the other thing. You know, I mean, it, it's addictive. And they don't know what they don't know what it is that they eat. Anyway, I'm going to run, Jackie. So just use questions. Yeah. You'll be okay. Okay. And we'll All pray right. for you, too. Can I say something to Jackie to encourage her? Sure. Jackie, look at the revelation. You are in the right path. Because in the re revelation, you will see that Satan going against the people who guard the commandments of Elohim and have a testimony of Yeshua. He doesn't fight with no other people, only with those who have that two things, guard commandments and have testimony. So you are in the right path. Thank you. Thank you. Amen, Violetta. Thank you. Okay, let's go to Heather. Heather, how are you? Hi there, brothers and sisters. I'm so glad to be here today. Um, to I just, you. thank you. I just wanted to share a couple of things because I feel um, I can um, resonate with being, leave, going to different churches and then finding a Christian fellowship and then being squeezed out because I didn't want to have pork and and uh, donating um, my nativities. And then uh, last, actually, Easter, um, hallelujah, it was on the Shabbat. I was inside um, my room fellowshipping with you all, and um, they were having um, uh, a barbecue and pork roast and getting drunk outside. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But um, so I get what it's like, you know, I, I fellowshiped with um, the Suffer community for the past couple of years, and it's been a blessing. But remember, words have power. And um, we are together right now, even though we're not in the same room. Our words and the frequency of our words are in every room that we're in right now. We are all together, just like prayer um, across Amen. The world rings and your words are very powerful. So resonate high. Don't be in fear. Um, I'm living in Ohio where things are a little challenging right now, but could I think about it and worry? Sure. But then my work as a helper um, would be affected if I was worried about it. So Yah gave us everything that we need. He gave us mushrooms, which are amazing, chaga mushrooms, oil mushrooms. Actually, you can clean up oil spills with mushrooms. We have charcoal, activated charcoal that binds to toxins and bentonite clay and drink filtered water and get the sun in your face and literally just 
go into heart brain coherence and be in love every day because that will really increase your um, your thoughts your feelings your emotions and your health and we weren't promised we came in here with an expiration date right we weren't promised tomorrow my grandmother used to say oh dear we could all be dead by then you know anything can happen at any given time and I let's just remember, have our last days. If tomorrow or to, tomorrow was our last day, we would just want to remember today to be with our brothers and sisters and fellowshipping and being in love. Um, there's a whole lot of crazy things going on in this world, but uh, we just, you know, be more worried about like the frequency soup that we're driving around in every day and um, Wi-Fi and things like that. There's a lot of un there's a lot of hidden assaults, but we just can't worry about those things. We should just be um, in fellowship and love and pray for each other because prayer is energy medicine. And um, interesting, I work at a wellness center um, and frequencies are real. Obviously, we are speaking to people through the radio waves or the sound waves or however it's being carried right now. I'm not a technical person. I'm more of a, like a hands-on clinical, but anyhow. Um, so energy medicine is real and frequencies, if, you know, even with the destruction of cancer cells, if you hit it with the inverse or go to that frequency and then amp it up and rupture it. So just remember that frequencies also can um, interfere with these toxins. Dr. Monzo has created, we actually have something called the train wreck sublingual spray underneath your tongue. That is just like a, um, a remedy. And um, so... There's so many different things. Even um, there, one of my teachers was, um, he used to be a prof uh, an instructor for the military and the Marines about chemical warfare. And the frequency of palladium actually was, is used for any chemical toxin um, that will literally allow the body to um, break down um, every single chemical into its separate elemental parts and discrete and excrete it safely. So just don't be in fear. It's all good, but you're not alone. Dr. P plug your mic in again. Okay. Hold on just one second. Okay, is that any better? Mm -hmm. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Okay, so let's repeat. After, let's repeat after me. You ready? Barukata. 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 Yawa sevaot. Yawa sevaot. Al kadosh echad. Al kadosh echad. Yasharel. Yes, sir. Yes, the ones that need prayer for uh, David, his eyes. Yes, and Shane, and also Shane Knock. We'll also pray for Shane. And myself. And Raina. Of course, we will pray for you, Raina. 
Toda. And me, please. Is, and Dr. Andy, Pete, who's, from, who's you, from you as well, speak. it's Ariel Nichols here. Oh, Ariel, yeah, sure. We'll pray for you, Ariel. Okay. Um, yeah, that'd be good. Thanks. And for, for Russia. And for Russia. We live with Rusi. As they say in as they say in Poluski, you know, I was we were at the fellowship last night and they put on this song, Give Thanks. And we used to sing this in Russian, you know. And anyway, but um we will pray for we're gonna pray for people all over the world. But we want to pray to this fellowship first. Okay, so let's pray. Let's pray. <laughs> Barukata Yawa Seboot El Kadosha Had Yasharel Shema Tehilinu Yawa. Hear our prayers as we lift them to you now. Father, we want to lift our beloved sister Ariel now, and that your healing hand would be upon her. Not only a healing hand, Father, but a hand of warmth and comfort that the winter would slip away from her now over the next few days. And that she would find herself being restored in your perfect health, Father, that you would restore her entirely. Father, we want to lift up to you our beloved sister, Raina, who suffers with this eye situation, Father. Your hand of healing may it be upon her and to restore her vision, not only to a good vision that she had before, but even to a 2020 vision, Father. Mm -hmm. For she sees in her heart, let her also see in her mind's eye, Father, that her eyes would be clear, that you would give her this victory with this condition. We pray for our brother David that his eyes also would continue to heal and that he would be restored to a perfect vision, that his eyes would see with the clarity that his mind also sees, Father, that you would restore his vision that would match his spiritual vision, Father, and bring him to complete health. We all also want to lift up all the other brothers and sisters that are suffering here, that we want to pray for the people in Ohio who are suffering this enormous, not only is it an invasion, but it's also a, uh, this tragedy that has happened that is you know, of, of the size of Chernobyl. We pray for the people in West Virginia. We pray for those in Ohio, those in Pennsylvania, those who are being affected by this cloud, those downstream on the Ohio River, that you would bring a healing, not only to the people, but also to the land, Father. Protect them, comfort them, care for them, and may their ministers that walk among them like Heather be given a loud and clear voice that they would hear what it is they must do to restore their health. Father, we pray that your voice would be heard in our households and that your frequency would be known to us and that we can say, and we can praise you in our heart and mind and soul, lifting all things to you and to the glory of your name, that your name would be glorified in us, over us, upon us, and where we walk, Father. Make this sacred ground make this sacred ground and may we have the care and the consideration to look at your ground as sacred. We praise your name in all of these things, Father. And so we lift this to you now asking, Father, that you would look upon this fellowship and bless us with your word, bless us with your spirit, bless us with your breath of healing and kindness and compassion. We seek to be your children now that you are Elohim and that there is no other continue to direct us in that direction that we might know these things carefully in our mind and be able to defend them as readily as we should. So we thank you, Father. Now, we also pray for those people in Eastern Europe, Father, whether it be in the, the traditional countries of Eastern Europe, like Czechia and Slovakia and Poland and Romania and 
and Ukraine and Bulgaria and and Serbia and Croatia and Slovakia and Slovenia, Bosnia Herzegovina and, and Montenegro and Albania and all of these places and even Greece, Father, and all the way up into Germany and Denmark and Norway and Sweden and Finland and even into the heart of Russia and Belarus and Ukraine, Father. There are so many dead now on the ground, Father. May your hand of mercy come upon this place and bring peace and shalom into this neighborhood and that this fighting would stop. Father, we pray that you would give the world leaders some vision of understanding where they are leading us. Take away the voice of Satan entirely, that they could no longer hear that voice, that they would walk into their offices tomorrow morning and go, what do we do now? I don't know. We can't hear the voice of Satan anymore telling us what to do because he's now silent. Take away the voice of, of Satan, Father. Stop it. Cease it from being able to speak and bring it to nothing. That the voice of Shalom and your voice might be heard with clarity. May the name of Yahweh rise up over all of these countries. May the name of Yahweh rise up over all of these countries. And may the dark forces of Nephilim and, and the demons that have been released out of the earth be silenced and have no more acquittal in any of these places, Father. May it no longer be a place of death, but become a place of life. We pray this in the name of Yahweh. Father, we also pray for, I want to pray also for um, Alaska and where we are and Hawaii, where it is. As we look out across this, um, this great thing that is emerging between the U.S. and China, Father, we pray that you would protect our coastlines from any kind of invasion or incursion, and that we would be well awake as to if anything were to happen, and that you would carry your people through it. You would cover us with your wings as you see fit, Father. May your will be done on this place as it is in heaven, and may your name be glorified here. Bahashem Yahshachamashiach. Amen and amen. Hey, hey, I got a quick word for David. I got a word for David and um, uh, Catherine about their eyes. And it was for them to check into castor oil eye droplets. Yes. Castor oil. Castor oil. Yes. Okay, outstanding. Heather, thank you so much, sister, for your kind words. Thank you. Really appreciate Thank that. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate all your feedback, really. And particularly if anybody food. wants to co I have a website, sure, S H O R E soundhealing.com. If you have any questions, you can send me an email. There's a lot of information, good stuff about health and wellness naturally that you don't have to worry. No, wait, no, no wait, no. Give me the address, give me the website address again. Sure, S H O R E, like the seashore. I'm a Jersey girl. Okay. Sound, sound, he, like you listen here, healing that uh, we heal ourselves.com. Okay. So you're from Jersey, yeah? I'm not from Jersey. What accent? <laughs> 109. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Angela, you got you got the radio going there, the sister. I got to mute you there. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to go to James and Maria Isabel one moment before we go, and then we're going to call it a day. What have we? Uh, Dr. Pigeon, when we were talking about slavery, this yes. past from Galatians came to mind. Uh, Galatians 4, verses 21 through 26. 
actually probably probably verses through 27. I don't know if you want to read it or if you want us to read it. One second, let me see if I can get to it here. Sure, Galatians 4. And what verses again? Uh, 21 through 27. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, did ye not hear and obey the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by the promise. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which genders to bondage, which is Hagar, Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arab, and answers to the present Yerushalayim, for she is in bondage among her children. But Yerushalayim, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, you barren that bear not, break forth and cry, you that travail not. For the desolate has many more children than she which has a man. <clears throat> now we, brethren, as Yitzhak was, are the children of promise. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Ruach. Even so is it now. Yeah, yeah. Nevertheless, what says the scripture cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And we know, guess what? Guess who the children of Hagar were? They were the ones who told Mashiach, oh, Avraham is our father, but we have never been in bondage to any man. Boom. Self-confession. Okay, guys. Well, thank you very much, uh, Maria Isabel. I appreciate that. James and Maria Isabel, blessings to you. And uh, may your may your Sabbath finish with uh, with total rest. I want to thank all you guys for being with us here today for Shabbat. It's just been a guys. And uh, let us say Shabbat Shalom. Bye, 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 bye,